Hello everyone, welcome to Riot Act, the alternative music podcast with myself, Stephen Hill, and my good friend, Renfrey Deadman, who sat opposite me waving as I point, which you guys can't see, but you have to trust me, what an amazing tableau it is. You can talk now. Hello. <laughs> How you doing, mate? You alright? I'm very good. Uh, yeah, I'm very well. I'm developing a slight tickly cough, but other than that, that I feel great. Yeah, it's that, that time of year. I've got yeah. a sore throat. Ah, is that what and they call one it One blocked nostril. Oh, that's so annoying, isn't it? Fucking it? sucks. But if you sleep on one side, exactly. all, uh, all, the, yeah. all the mucus goes oh, to one side. and 10 seconds, doesn't it, as it's going. <laughs> there's that little period you just wish you could pause time yeah that period of nirvana it, it's kind of sucked to one side but not entirely <laughs> over to the other side what a, what a beautiful moment that is in your uh, your nighttime regime yeah absolutely but um enough about my nostrils although mm. we will do a full special on my nostrils yeah, of at, course. at some point because i think the history of alternative music is not complete <laughs> without uh, a comprehensive breakdown about my nostrils <laughs> and how they flitter flatter around full of snot um <laughs> shout out musicism oh <laughs> that's definitely <laughs> how they want to be uh brought oh, in at this yeah. point here after me talking about snot definitely, definitely yeah. shout out musicism we're part of musicism happy to be part of musicism you know the drill by now they give you all the best courses in the world world if you're a budding singer producer or guitarist so go over to musicism.net and uh, and sign yourself up for the paltry sum of £9.99 or even less if you put in the code RIOT in capital letters in the checkout. Renfrey, do you want to add anything to that? It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Okay, well, that's it. Okay, <laughs> perfect. All right, good. Well, there you go. So this is episode six. No, seven. 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 Sorry, I hadn't changed it on my notes. What an oh, idiot. What an idiot. Uh, my, my notes are not as comprehensive as they should be for something <laughs> which is pretty big this week. So uh, on this week's show, we're doing something a little bit different mm. from the, uh, the, the the show that we've been doing up until this point. So um, it's something that we're going to be exploring a lot more in the future. We want to do kind of artist-defined specials mm. on um, significant... Uh, musicians and significant bands in the world of alternative music and really kind of explore them to the fullest to the absolute fullest we do you know try and do as much as we can on the weekly show with how we feel about bands and how we feel about artists but you know for example if you go back to episode zero the venn diagram we spoke fairly comprehensively about lots of things yeah it's fairly impossible to really go super deep on everything so we want to do that and Mm. we're going to start doing that um and putting them out probably probably not on a friday probably not it's going to be a semi-regular thing yeah but um but yeah we'll figure that out as we go so what we're doing today is because i know people sometimes if if a podcast comes out like an extra podcast comes out on a tuesday or something a lot of people listen to it go that'll only be a little extra doodly doodly i'm gonna skip that and they don't bother listening to it so what we're doing today is we're giving you basically as the friday show an example of what these special shows are going to be yeah and renfrey would you like to let everybody know who the uh the subject of our first special is going to be well today we're doing uh jeff buckley jeff buckley which is not how you pronounce the surname (laughs) (laughs) not buckley you can it's jeff buckley Buckley, yeah um so do you know what i would say go over to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast and for patrons we will take 
even more of these suggestions because obviously you know if there's somebody that you want to know about then we want to talk to you about that artist if you think i know i want to crack their heads open and find out more about nick cave or the manic street preachers or Hmm. pig destroyer or therapy Hmm. or whoever whomever it may be that you really really go i've always wanted to listen to xyz band Hmm. or xyz artist then go over there just give us a quid a month that'd be bloody nice of you we've had a couple of really cool suggestions already as well so thank you very much for those yeah thanks for that um and uh, i'm just going to say that i'm doing this for me i think it's a great uh, a great kind of shout to do jeff buckley because um he's somebody who ended up being in the solo artist category when we did do the venn diagram uh, of yeah. alternative music but he's somebody who i have i guess a a fleeting knowledge of Mm. like i've been listening to grace for a long time i got into it after he died i think we'll probably get into this as Mm -hmm. we go but Mm -hmm. save for a few youtube clips and a few live sets Mm. like i've never really delved back into jeff buckley's back catalog i think you have i think this is a big part of the reason why we wanted to make jeff buckley one of the first ones so i'm a a massive jeff buckley fanatic i think Mm. I've certainly heard everything that's been officially released yeah. and I've heard most things. Um, well, I can't say that really, but I've heard a lot of unofficial things as well. A lot of bootlegs and stuff like that. Um, and my feeling is the majority of people who know Jeff Buckley are, are like you. They've heard yeah. Grace and yeah. that's kind of where they've stopped. I mean, some people have even just bought a best of, which is it's kind of insane to have a best of for an artist who only had one, <laughs> only released one album in their career. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, surely by default, the, uh, the best of is Grace. Or is it? Uh, we'll find out. Continue listening to find out. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I feel like... Uh, you know, everyone knows Hallelujah and everyone's aware of his version and all that mm. kind of thing. And Alexandra Burke bringing it back into the public consciousness, yada, yada, yada. But like, there isn't a lot known about him as a man and who he was and his relationship with his father and all this kind of thing. So this is stuff that I've wanted to talk about for a very long time. Okay, so let's go and talk about him, the man, before we get started. In fact, let's talk about it in general. So Jeff Buckley, born Jeffrey Scott Buckley on the 17th of November, 1966, died very tragically, of course, as we'll get to, on the 29th of May, 1997, at the far too young age of just 30 years old, with only one studio album to his name. Um, as you said, Renfrey, it might seem quite unusual to be doing an entire show based on an artist with just one official album to his name. So before we kick off, why? what is so special about Jeff Buckley that we've decided to uh, do this whole special about him? Well, I think Grace is an almost perfect document of uh, an artist, um, and uh, obviously, there's been a lot. Uh, there are there are Jeff Buckley detractors who will say stuff like, um, and we'll get into all of this, but there are Jeff Buckley detractors who say, "Oh, if he continued, then he would have ruined his legacy." Blah blah blah, and like he only, you know, why does everyone go crazy about just one record? And and the, the fact is, is the stuff that was released after Grace as well is just as worthy if not debatably more so because jeff buckley was an artist who never performed a song the same way twice Mm. um and that's something that becomes more and more apparent the more you dig into all the live recordings that were salvaged i suppose and 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 released officially Mm. um and he was a virtuoso in in every single conceivable sense um i don't really think jeff buckley had a single weak point um 
he was a phenomenal guitar player not showy but you know some of that i mean i've learned to play some of some of those tunes and they are fucking hard (laughs) like grace the arpeggios at the beginning of grace and stuff like that like to make them sound good is hard work you know Mm. um his voice obviously which which to to jeff himself i think was a bit of an afterthought uh he never really wanted to be a vocalist but you know most people will comment on his voice as the first thing that uh that they hear as 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 the most striking thing about him um and also his songwriting like he wrote amazing amazing songs he had a bit of help from various people but he was definitely a very talented songwriter and that's the holy trinity really he was brilliant at all three of those things and it's very rare you get that you know Mm. even let's take hendrix amazing guitarist pretty good vocalist fairly good songwriter but not amazing you know and like you could you like you could name any finding an artist that is all good at all three is incredibly rare so rare what it is for me i think having gone back and listened to some of these things for the for the first time ever is the fact that i i think everything you said i think is absolutely spot on but it's the fact that i think you could place the amount of stuff i hear in his music i feel like you could take for someone who's got such a you know such a kind of a brief period of being a recording artist yeah the amount of things you can hear the amount of influences you can hear the amount of different things that he was able to do with his voice with his with his songwriting with his um with his guitar playing Mm -hmm. is quite incredible and it just means i feel like you could pluck like it's weird that he's a 90s artist and 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 there are things about it that make me go oh this is very 90s but i feel like you could pluck jeff buckley out of the 90s and put him in any era of guitar music going back to the 1960s and he would fit yeah perfectly and you go like yes he kind of belongs in that point or in there or in there or in there and it doesn't matter whether it's kind of psychedelic rock or punk rock or alternative rock or post-punk uh there are so many different genres and eras and parts that he not just does but excels at mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's pretty fucking impressive i have I, to say. Th- I think he was very very aware of trying to make timeless music mm. and his influences are so wide and varied i mean bear in mind so he recorded grace in august 1993 uh so he was 25 when it, or t- 24, 25, 26 when he recorded yeah. Grace. And before recording Grace, he spent an awful lot of time just basically b- being a session musician and learning sh- a shitload of covers. Yeah. Um, I actually made a list. This isn't even a comprehensive list, but I just made a list as I was going doing research of bands that or artists that he's covered. And I got Bob Dylan, Nina Simone, Led Zeppelin, the MC5, Edith Piaf, Sly and the Family Stone, The Smiths, uh, Bukat. Booker, Booker White, Elton John, uh, James Shelton, Genesis, Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan, Big Star, Benjamin Britten, Bad Brains, The Band, Leonard Cohen. Yeah. I mean, the diversity there from MC5 to Benjamin Britten, mm. <laughs> you know, he's like a classical composer kind of thing, you mm. know. It's outrageous. And and I I, I think I couldn't say my musical taste is as diverse as that realistic well maybe but 
No. Uh, probably not. Ba- to I, be I'd go bad brains to Nina Simone. I'm not sure I'd go as far to the other. Yeah, to Britain. I mean? yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, you know, I'd, it's it's just it's crazy. And the thing is, th- these weren't just artists he was listening to; these are all artists he covered. Yeah. He covered, so these are all artists that he covered in his lifetime. He was listening to way more than that, you know. Mm. But, um, and he just took a little bit, a little hint of all of them and just chucked it all in the pot. So let's talk about his kind of primary influences that you can hear that kind of across the spread of Jeff Buckley's music. You mentioned Jimi Hendrix. This is a tough one. You mentioned Jimi Hendrix. I would put, I mean, particularly listening to, there's a version of Eternal Life Live that you made. You made a playlist for me of Jeff Buckley and the spirit of Jimi Hendrix on that, the way that he just glides around that guitar is pure Hendrix. And I can't help feeling the more and more I listen to him, particularly kind of Axis Boulder's Love era of Jimi Hendrix, I can't help but feel that although he wasn't a kind of like you say a wild virtuoso in the way that Jimi Hendrix was I can't help but feel the kind of the soul and the uh the feel and the um I guess just the spontaneity of the way that but there's a there's a level of spontaneity between Jimi Hendrix and Jeff Buckley which is kind of feels like it's beamed down to them like they don't really know what's in control of their hands it's just that's what comes out and I hear a hell of a lot of Hendrix in, in in Jeff Buckley, I definitely think. Um, yeah, I think that's. I I, th- I think I don't think Henry. Uh, sorry, I don't think Buckley was ever as um, showman like as Hendrix. But mm. I do agree with you in terms of that. You know, it just feels like yeah, yeah feel feels like that talent was beamed mm. down into him. So like Hendrix for Generation X. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Sort of Gen X. Absolutely. Slacker. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a re- that's a really good call actually. Mm. And I think. Um, uh, he started playing guitar when he was five you know mm. he found an acoustic guitar in his grandma's closet and he started doodling around on it and then he decided he wanted to be a musician when he was 12 and then uh he got his first uh, electric guitar when he was 13 so i think it's one of those things where he was just surrounded by music from the beginning of his life mm. um obviously uh, do you mind if I go into Tim Buckley a little bit? A little I was going to say this? Tim Buckley for the kind of before. I think Tim Buckley should be the last okay. of the sort of okay. influences before because that is got a whole different kettle of that is a different, yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of just musically. Um, I think, um, but even his his mother was a classical cellist yeah, and pianist, pianist yeah. um, and there was there was music just constantly around him. He used to like try and harmonize with his mum and stuff like this. And he was listening to bands like Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix. The Who was a massive influence on him. Um, Pink Floyd. Mm. He really got into, um, like when he was a teenager, he really got into prog rock, like Genesis and Yes Mm. and Rush. Like loved all that stuff. Um, He, oh, this is cool. Do you know the, the first record that he ever bought? Is it Physical Graffiti? Yeah. Yeah. Physical graffiti and I by mean, Led Zeppelin. I have to say that uh, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. It makes so much sense, you know, because I, I mean that kind of the the Eastern mysticism, yes, of oh god, yeah, that era of Led Zeppelin, yeah, again, uh, floating around in the ether, like yeah. all of that stuff, and the kind of the pop and the funk. Like, I mean, we'll we'll talk about his band and their bass player yeah. and their rhythm yeah, yeah, section yeah, yeah, yeah. later on, I'm sure, but. Um, but definitely when you when you listen to the the stuff that John Paul Jones does yeah. uh, on physical graffiti like that feels like a, a massive massive influence to him. absolutely yeah. i think um 
I sort of raised my eyebrows when you said, you know, what what was Jeff Buckley influenced by? Because it's yeah, such, exactly. it's, that's difficult to, dis- it's really difficult to distill it down. But I think physical graffiti is a really good beginner's point in terms of, like, for starters, it's a double album. Like, and also, how do you define physical graffiti? It's very difficult to do that. <laughs> I mean, I know I just kind of, it's my favourite Zeppelin album and I've just, I just kind of went, oh, it's like the kind of Eastern funky one, but like, that well, doesn't really, and it is, but it you, doesn't really tell the story of it, does yeah, it? Yeah, you're not wrong, but but there's loads more to it than that. Mm. And and I think that's the whole thing with Buckley, you know, um, on Grace, you've there's Corpus Christi Carol, which is the Benjamin Britten cover, which is this really beautiful falsetto choral cover. Yeah. Um, like almost Gregorian chanty type thing. And then it's immediately followed by Eternal Life, which is a hard rock song. Yeah. Um, in the version that I gave you, it's borderline metal. He starts mm. doing almost black metal screams and shit like yeah, this. Yeah. It's mental, yeah. you know, and this was, this was the breadth of his musical knowledge and love. I mean, and that's why it's, and he, he threw all of it in. Like he yeah. threw all of it in. The only genre that I can think of that isn't really in grace probably is like extreme metal, <laughs> you yeah. know? Like there's punk in there. There's, there's classical, well, there's funk. There's he, soul. Worked with, he worked with Patti Smith in yeah. 1996, mm-hmm. which I found out today um, uh, in, in sort of like researching his life. And that again makes... Patti Smith and the kind of the art punk of New York makes a hell of a lot of sense to me. Television, talking heads. Interesting you say television. Um, those, those sort of bands. I mean, I would say Patti Smith would be the one who gets as close to a bullseye shout as all of them. But I certainly think, um, yeah, that kind of era of of New York punk, well, that kind of thinking. But I would have, you know, I'd, I'd put in kind of, I guess, wire as well and um maybe gang of four mm-hmm. i know they're not obviously new york but um uh but i think those those bands those kind of post-punk before post-punk was really a phrase mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and kind of going into the sort of first wave of it i feel like the the instrumentation and the way that those the the thing that always for me was really what i love about those bands is it feels like the rhythm section has got a completely different set of rules to the guitars yep like they feel like they're utterly disconnected and almost separate entities yeah, like yeah. almost separate entities and when i listen to jeff buckley i'm like that rhythm section is doing something completely different to what he is not even paying any like they are linked mm. but they're linked by there is a this huge kind of vast ocean of water between them yeah they sometimes they somehow coalesce and make sense together but you're Mm. not quite sure how that happens and then when they do come together it's really fucking powerful and brilliant and he's got that as well so i think again the kind of the new york art punk scene um feels like it was something that was a was a big influence on him as well you're absolutely right although mainly latter day mainly post grace funnily enough mm. um uh in so his second album was never completed certainly to his satisfaction but um it was going to be called for my sweet uh it's going to be called my sweetheart the drunk and was sort of released a year after his death as sketches for my sweetheart the drunk and it's a double disc the first disc is kind of the the um 
album that he tried to make with Tom Verlaine from uh, television producing, mm-hmm. funnily enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second disc was like four track demos of songs that he was working on. He was never happy with them. And it does sound disjointed and odd and it doesn't sound complete, but there are definitely gems on there. Mm-hmm. But certainly that is very much the the the, the, the influence from post-punk on that record is unbelievable. Like, yeah definitely all of that stuff that you're saying television and i think susie and the banshees maybe even susie as well. and the banshees, yeah yeah that's, um, a, that's a good show <clears throat> you know that that kind of thing gang of four um he definitely he definitely was influenced by all that stuff but i don't think that stuff properly came to fruition in his music until post grace but okay. yes absolutely what 100%. about as a vocalist because that is an interesting one for me one of the first ones that came up and we've already mentioned her, actually, was, was was Nina Simone. Yeah. Because there's a raspy, banshee howl yeah. that comes at, again, at intervals yeah. when you listen to, to Nina Simone. Yeah. And Jeff Buckley doesn't sing like uh, a rock singer. No, not at all. Not at all. There's, I, I think he's probably more influenced by female... Uh, vocalists then male vocalists there is a f- really hugely feminine quality Joni Mitchell maybe yeah quite possibly Joni Mitchell I've not come across him being directly influenced in my notes but I, I don't see why not I mean I I again that was another one where I was like my like my when I growing up my mum one of her favorite artists ever is Joni Mitchell and so I listened to a lot of Joni Mitchell when I was a kid okay. so I'm very very familiar with her back catalog and listening to Jeff Buckley and going through I was like because you know obviously you go yeah dylan cohen van morrison yeah. those kind of people yeah from that 60s scene yes definitely but yeah. certainly for me the one that kind of stood out sonically in terms of his voice i was like Joni, Joni mitchell and nina simone were for me like the the bullseye comparisons which is odd to do to take a, a male rock singer and yeah. you know the people you most remind me of and nina simone and Joni exactly mitchell. i think nina simone is a massive massive influence on uh what jeff buckley was doing and in certainly in terms of the soul of her voice and maybe you know maybe even that whole motown kind of thing i think you can hear quite a lot of the Mm. um quite a lot of that in what he's doing i mean to be honest i just think it sounds utterly unique really in lots of ways i don't think anyone could quite sound like jeff buckley well i mean the soul thing is is particularly interesting when um we actually had a tweet from uh sean leddington let sean leddington sorry uh-huh. sean i know sean as well i should know how to say his name properly um and uh uh everybody here loves you is the one that he brought yeah. up is like a really sexy slinky song and that's but you know it could be a marvin it could be a marvin gay song definitely zara like, it's that that is an r&b song as far mm. as i'm concerned an r&b in the traditional sense not in the yeah. shitty you know sense hey, uh, <laughs> you'll have a bit of r kelly and tlc mate <laughs> oh tlc's fine yeah um and uh yeah everybody i mean that song is just mm. brilliant and that's from uh my sweetheart the drunk as well it is, yeah, yeah probably it feels like one of the most complete compositions from we'll get to don't spunk yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. don't spunk okay. on that album um so let's talk about the i guess uh, the main is it would you say the main influence would be tim buckley in terms of because this is a this is a, a tricky one. one yeah because tim buckley um but jeff buckley was nine when his father died um 
Tim Buckley is, uh, for those kind of the layman's, I guess, is an incredibly versatile cult musician from the 1960s through to the kind of early 1970s uh, who dabbled as many of those kind of mid-60s musicians did in again in many 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 genres of music mm, mm. Um, i'd say primarily jazz and folk but yeah, yes he, yeah, he absolutely yeah. yeah very difficult to categorize and obviously somebody who was willing uh, to give their life to music um because he actually walked out on the family um before before jeff was even jeff, born before jeff was born uh, mm. in favor of a music career mm. and um yeah I, I mean you would know more than me i think there's kind of that's always been one of the things that uh the the abandonment issues um that jeff buckley had um i think i think the abandon- being- i think the abandonment issues hugely affected his feelings on the music industry as a whole as well i think he associated the two and couldn't separate them uh throughout his life um so this is why it's a difficult thing i mean is jeff buckley uh influenced by his dad well, of course, to a degree, yes. But also at the same time, he spent his entire career trying to get away from his father. But so that's a kind of interesting way of being influenced by something of course. in itself, isn't it? Yeah. Because, I mean, I always look at... I remember listening to an album like Blackwater like to take it, <laughs> to get into kind of metal for a second, yeah. which is where I'm more comfortable. There, won't be, the there won't be a lot of metal, there won't be a lot of metal so we might as well do a little bit. Yeah. Um, I would look at an album like Blackwater Park by Opeth as a direct kind of um, reaction against new metal. Mm, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. A, a, a lengthy, extreme metal, prog, like blackened death metal record. Yeah. Uh, and it was that 2001, the, wasn't it? Yeah, at the height of Linkin Park and Limp Bizkit. Like, to me, felt like oh, this is deliberately going as for going well fuck this i'm going as far away from this as i possibly can mm, mm. and there's a quote here actually that you you brought up saying um in his diary in 1993 he, he wrote i'm convinced part of the reason i got signed is because of who i am and it makes me sad but i can't do anything else so you know it's it's really sad isn't it yeah like, actually you you said when as soon as you said i can't do anything else like i felt my heart sink you know yeah. like like that is the thing he mm. he he couldn't and do anything else, and he didn't want to do anything. Born else. into a family of musicians, yeah, and almost being kind of forced to tread this path that your father has already trodden, uh, yeah. whilst wanting to stay as far away from this, per- like to, to not be associated with this person who, yes. I guess, you you feel kind of a lot of resentment to. I it's mean, a very that's a sad that's a sad story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the, the only the only thing I'll pick you up on there is when you say forced. It, you know, it was very much his decision to. Oh, of to course, be a I meant kind of forced, as in your your mind is just like music. I have to get else. this yeah, out. Yeah, 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 do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. I, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, and you, he probably like. I I want. I always wonder as a kid if he was like, well, you know, fuck music, like, you no, know, like, I don't want to be a musician, and it just kind of. I mean, we don't know. We don't know, know. and there's nothing to indicate as much. But then maybe who mm. knows? Um, mm. I think. Um, it, the, all of the early reviews, every, well, they were just obsessed with how closely related Jeff Buckley was to Tim Buckley. And I think yeah. he really resented that and uh, found that very, very difficult. Um, and it was a subject that he def- definitely didn't like talking about. 
um, I don't think it helped, although it was definitely the beginning of his career. Maybe we'll get onto this in a bit. But in 1990 or 1991, he actually appeared uh, unbilled at a memorial concert for uh, yeah. his father and performed a song that was actually written about him yeah called <laughs> i never asked to be your mountain now yeah. i haven't heard this song but oh, just that as, just that as a title yeah um says oh it's it's, it's, it's telling it's, like there aren't there unfortunately there's only like not very good recordings of it on youtube but like it, it's it's um yeah it's very haunting listening mm. to it like mm. listening to someone perform a song when the song is actually about them and and kind of you know about abandoning them effectively and i never asked to to be the guy who you relied on and all this oh, it's just it's it's absolutely heartbreaking mm. um but he did that and uh i think then everyone just sort of wanted him to be a, another version of his father and that's exactly what he was trying to rally against yeah. uh, he didn't that's the last thing that he wanted and i think he discovered i think it helped discovering uh, Nusrat Fat Ali Khan who was a huge influence on him and I think is responsible for a lot of um, Jeff Buckley's his, his histrionics almost yeah sometimes when when people criticize Buckley uh, vocally it's often that they say he has the kind of Christina Aguilera kind of thing where he's just going <laughs> yeah. all over the place mm. um, my rebuff to that is with Christina Aguilera it feels like she's going, look at me and look at what my voice can do. Yeah. With Jeff Buckley, it feels like he's been almost possessed by the song and is trying to, and I, I don't know, it's, it almost feels more like an exorcism rather than uh, just him showing off. I mean, I, I don't think Jeff Buckley thought he had a particularly good voice. Mm. Um, he was never interested in being a vocalist, particularly. Um which is crazy, isn't it? It is mad when you when you say that. Bonkers. I mean, that's he's actually got something in common there with um, Chris Cornell. Yeah, Chris Cornell, who was, James uh, Hetfield. Was, yeah, who didn't Hetfield, want to be a vocalist. You know, there are a lot of them. I mean, I mean, with all due respect to James Hetfield as a, yeah, a vocalist. Yeah, he's not Chris, Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell was a drummer and yeah, then went yeah, out yeah. and had this just had this fucking unbelievable voice. And uh, yeah, it's odd how that happens. I definitely think there is a through line in people not wanting to be vocalists somehow turning into incredible vocalists. I don't yeah. know what the hell that's about, but uh, yeah, there's something there's something weird with that and just mm. the way. There's a really interesting, this is a slight diversion, but it's a really interesting story, which I want to get in anyway. Because um, I think Tom York was like that. So I don't think Tom York really wants to be a vocalist for uh, a while. I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, I don't know. You maybe. To... <laughs> we'll, we'll double check <laughs> that. Um, but um, uh, when they were recording the Benz, when Radiohead were recording the Benz, he was having a lot of trouble recording fake plastic trees. Right. And so... Um, the studio engineer or the producer was just like, let's just pop out. Jeff Buckley's playing tonight. We'll pop to the garage and uh, we'll watch Jeff Buckley. So they went there and Tom York seeing Jeff Buckley playing and using that falsetto voice, but without it being kind of pansy-ish, uh -huh. I suppose, um, influenced him to be able to do the performance that he does on Fake Plastic Trees. And wow. he went back, they did it in two takes and then Tom York just broke down crying. So... Tom York's falsetto, which you don't really hear on Pablo Honey. No. A little, you do hear it a bit, but not very yeah, much. Yeah, a little not, tiny bit. But not in the same way. Mm. But, you know, Fake Plastic Trees, it, it, it's basically 
a direct result of seeing Jeff Buckley. And obviously, you know, Tommy York ended up using that falsetto quite a lot on that album, yeah. Street Spirit and uh, High and Dry and Fake Plastic yeah. Trees. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you could you could argue that that's a direct result of seeing Jeff Buckley live at the garage. Well, we'll get to the people that Jeff Buckley influenced right yes. at the very end of this. That's about two and a half hours away. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so going back to Tim Buckley, how important as, as a standalone artist, just as an artist in his own right, how important is Tim Buckley? Because I feel like at this point, Jeff Buckley has transcended Tim Buckley. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think Tim Buckley... On on Jeff Buckley or just or just alone as an just artist, just as a you know when you go like who are the big artists from the sixties, you rarely will go. If you say who are the big solo standalone artists from the nineties, well we did it. We did we said that Jeff Buckley is in in our top five, yeah, most important, yeah, solo artists, and Tim Buckley didn't even get in that conversation. I I, do, I don't I don't think you do hear Tim Buckley's name very often, which is a shame because he's he is fantastic. Um, I would never ever. Pre- profess to be as big a Tim Buckley fan as I am a Jeff Buckley fan you know I'd be lying um, but every time I listen to Tim Buckley I'm always like I must check out more so what's the reason for that do you think honestly I mean this isn't very exciting but I don't know <laughs> I don't I don't I've got a theory okay good so yeah. um the 90s was a time in guitar based music for for bands yep. rather than solo artists Nick Cave, there were a few, obviously. Nick Cave, we've mentioned before. PJ Harvey, we've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, the likes of Elliot Smith, uh, mm-hmm. we've mentioned before. Um, but Jeff Buckley was something of a rare. It was something of a rarity to have a band, f- which was f- just a, a solo artist with, you know, with their doing their thing with their band. They weren't, you know, I suppose in this country there was. Oh, was there anyone? Well, I've said PJ Harvey. Um, uh, Edwin Collins, <laughs> but. <laughs> When you go back to the 1960s, you're looking at Neil Young. You're looking yes. at, you know, obviously the Beatles broke up and John Lennon went solo in 1970. There's, I've mentioned Bit Dylan and Cohen yep. and Van Morrison. And the, that was, the, I, I just think that when you think back to that time, I'm not saying that poor Tim Buckley, he's been overlooked because loads of bigger people were around, but. But the competition was more fierce. But I think the competition was fiercer. And that's not to kind of downplay um, Jeff Buckley and go, he got lucky because there was not a lot mm. of competition around mm. him. But I wonder if there's only so much room for so many people. Like Nick Drake. I think people yeah. think about Nick Drake yeah. more than they think more about than Tim Buckley. Tim Buckley. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, and I wonder if that was just, I mean, it's just it's just an idea. In it's my definitely, head. yeah, it's, it's sound. Uh, I, think, um, I think also, you know, Tim Buckley, whilst his death was, absolutely tragic as well tim buckley actually died um younger than jeff buckley died he, he did, was 28 yeah. Yeah. um when he died oh, heroin heroin as well. um i think but tim buckley released more records than jeff did i can't remember off the top of my head how many exactly but there was more material and therefore kind of probably more uh room for mis- not uh, mistakes is the wrong word but but songs that weren't Per, you know like i say i think grace is kind of a perfect document really uh-huh. um and i'm not sure because tim buckley released more stuff i'm not convinced that he had like a perfect moment or a perfect album or a perfect you know a perfect collection of songs right um 
my expertise on Tim Buckley is nowhere near that of Jeff. Uh, but but that's that's the that's my understanding of it. So mm. I think that probably helps a lot. You know, there's that whole thing of, you know, uh, there's definitely a, 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 an element of Jeff Buckley being risen on a pedestal <laughs> because of the tragic circumstances around his death. Yeah. I still think he's well worth talking about. And I think when people use that as a crutch to beat him with, it's it's doesn't go that far really because it's like just fucking listen to Grace, like shut well, up. Sex Pistols only got one album. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And people use it, you know, as a crutch with Nirvana. It's like they've only got three records, yeah. but that that's the thing. It's because it's a captured a moment in time which was really difficult and yeah. perfect. I mean, I imagine I don't think Nirvana would have got through the new metal era unscathed. Uh, uh, I don't know. That's a that's an interesting. That's, 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 that's very that's very for another long day conversation. But you know, there's a there's a there's a, a strong argument to say that yeah. they wouldn't have. Yeah. Um. And uh. Yeah. So that that is probably contributing to the fact that Jeff's seen a more legendary light than Tim nowadays. Yeah. Fair. Okay. So let's kind of do the sort of early years, and then we'll go into sort of your recommendations uh-huh. as an album by album. So what we're going to do basically is we're going to pick a kind of um best of the rest stuff to avoid and then Renfrey you've done a podium like the Olympics a bronze silver gold medal of Jeff Buckley which we'll get into um so as we said he brought up his mother and his stepfather um so until the death of his father he was known as Scott Moorhead which is his Mm -hmm. middle name and his stepfather's surname yes (coughs) bless you Thank you. <laughs> so he didn't return to actually being known as Jeff Buckley until his father's death. Um, he found out, uh, yeah, Jeff Jeff was actually his real name. He found it on his birth certificate yeah. when his father died. So, um, and yeah, reverted to uh, Jeff Buckley, uh, yeah, when Tim Buckley passed away. Yeah. So played in the school jazz band. Mm-hmm. Um, Which makes sense. With, yeah, he does. Makes fell in love with sense. Kiss, as all those kids in the yep. 70s did, and Led yep. Zeppelin. Um, he went to uh, a year-long course at the Musicians Institute, which he called the 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 biggest, biggest waste, waste of time. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, but then I kind of fell in love with classical music while he was there, didn't he? Kind of yeah. like learned to understand and appreciate how, again, like we haven't really mentioned the influence of classical music particularly, yeah. but we know it's in there. And I guess that's kind of like the, the way that classical music is composed yeah. and put together was sort of, uh, I guess his passion for that was, was brought about during that course well he um he refers specifically to Ravel Bartok and Ellington you know which and that all makes sense in terms of um a lot of Jeff Buckley's songs didn't really have a traditional verse chorus verse structure some of them did but quite a lot of them didn't um so that makes more sense when you kind of consider those uh classical influences and so on and so forth um and and, and actually prog influences to be fair yeah definitely like um, so yes and yep. king crimson and genesis and stuff like that. genesis rush yeah. loved rush love rush yeah so played with a bunch of bands moved to new york in 1990 to kind of hone his craft in the coffee houses of the cities um did various demos made his debut uh, as officially as a live artist was it the tribute show that he officially unveiled himself as a solo artist i believe that is the case yes <laughs> okay which is some way to do it, isn't it? In a tribute yeah. show to your own father, your sing father. a song yeah. that your dad wrote about you. That yeah. is that is pretty amazing. Yeah. But um, there were limos outside of the Cine uh, after Buckley earned a weekly Monday residency there at the Cine Club in New York. Mm. There it's, were li- uh, it's pronounced Cine. Cine. Oh, is it? Cine. Yeah, it's a silent H. It's Irish for 
something, which I will go back to. Good. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, got a weekly residency and there were record label bigwigs outside in their limos week upon week, basically there to try and sign this guy. And he was um, inked the deal with Columbia, uh, where Springsteen and Dylan were at the time, which feels like a quite a good place for him. Yeah, perfect. And, um, and there we go. That's kind of, I guess, the start of Jeff Buckley's record. Well, the, yes. I think I think the cafe days, as he called them, which are very important, though, in terms yep. of honing his craft and uh, and figuring out the artist that he was going to be as well. Um, definitely, I know for a fact that Columbia, when Columbia signed him, uh, they, they could see that they had this amazing, unique uh individual but there was definitely a sense that they didn't know exactly what to do with him because his influences were so broad um they didn't know what sort of album he was going to make and he didn't either to be to be honest yeah so he was actually sent into the recording studio um just to record a bunch of the covers that he'd been recording uh at uh at Chenet, um just to get an idea of what he wanted to do what direction he wanted to do and that that has actually just been released quite recently i think it was in 2016 as a compilation called you and i um and these are just early so these are recordings in the studio from before the grace sessions where he was just trying to figure out exactly what direction to go in uh-huh and um so there's there's covers of led zeppelin songs on there there's covers of um bob dylan like a brilliant cover of just like a woman by bob dylan which is phenomenal and stuff like that uh so there was that period as well where he was trying to distill what he did and make it make it the jeff buckley that we know from grace yeah well again Um, so look i'm just looking at the um the, the the kind of um the track list in here and it goes from the Smiths to Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, crazy. <laughs> which is you know mad. And again, I think the Smiths is a is a really good like um, yeah. sort of touchstone in in terms of an influence that yeah. we we didn't talk about. Like I suppose in the kind of post punk thing, like yeah, you could say later on. They loved yeah. the Smiths, but I would imagine. Yeah, I can imagine that he did. So, um, but I, I also he just had this amazing way. I think he learned. I think the cafe days are important because he learned he was he was just playing by himself it was just him and a a fender telecaster that he borrowed from a friend and playing at those cafes he learned to um accompany himself he learned how to do everything he learned how to you know play bass notes but also fill the middle and fill the treble and just he he learned all the chords that buckley played you know he, he like I don't think Buckley ever plays power chords unless he's covering the MC5. I don't think Buckley ever plays power chords. I think he's always playing these really rich, open textured chords and these really odd tunings in some cases because he was just trying to fill out the sound as much as possible. Yeah. And the um, the Live at Chenet, uh see, the, the Live at Chenet double album, it was originally released as an EP in 1993 just by Columbia, almost just as a kind of taster for people just to go this is this is the artist we've signed and he's great um but it was re-released 10 years later in 2003 as a mammoth double disc kind of uh spectacular with all sorts of just just all sorts of amazing uh uh covers that he did and 
some bare bone versions of uh, some of the early tracks from Grace. So there's bare bones versions of Mojo Pin and Grace and uh, Last Goodbye, which was originally called Unforgiven yeah. and uh, Eternal Life, um, plus maybe one or two others. And um, it's a really fascinating document and fascinating kind of <clears throat> insight into how Jeff Buckley became Jeff Buckley that we all know. Mm. Um, and so does that rank on your podium? Certainly anywhere? does, sir. Uh, well, let's start off here then. So that is that is my bronze. That's your bronze. Yeah, that is my so bronze. Let's let's go on this. I mean, obviously, I have to say. Um, I listened to uh, a bit of this. Uh, I wasn't really aware of of uh, exactly what it was, but now having heard it, it does make a lot more sense. It sounds really uh, like they were, it was raw. Do you know yeah, what I mean? it oh, was it's super raw, raw, super raw. And you know, I have absolutely no problem with that. I think like you know, it, it's cool to hear yeah. uh, an artist um, being that raw as as he is. Um, but like, talk us through kind of the, I guess, the highlights. And aside from it just being an interesting sort of signpost as to where an artist is going to go like what is it that actually makes this record so special um i think i mean the first thing i would say is i i wouldn't say it's the first place to go with jeff buckley particularly the double of course yeah yeah particularly the double disc edition is uh i mean both discs are stuffed full you know we're talking like 160 minutes or however long it is um they're absolutely chock full of stuff but in terms of getting something i love about this record is you actually get an idea of his personality as well Mm. um there's only 21 songs i say only 21 songs there's 21 songs on it but there's 34 tracks in total and there's these tracks which are like monologue yeah monologue is not monologues don't 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 worry it doesn't like it doesn't go into <laughs> like stand-up comedy, yeah, no 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 although you, although you say that um it's just all those monologues are are like between song patter mm. but you get a sense of this really unique individual um i put a couple on your playlist actually just 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 to give you an idea yeah. of um of the guy and like there's bits that there's one part where he starts going into smells like teen spirit but does a Nusrat Fat Ali Khan kind of vocal over it like Allah 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 you know and just just this totally unique weird individual just making people laugh and like um you can you can you really feel like you're in Shanae when you listen to it the first thing you hear is the coffee machine going off yeah on the um on the recording and then you even hear uh someone testing the microphones and stuff like that. I mean, you could put it on and close your eyes and imagine you were there. That's the thing, is it like, for all the kind of the rawness of it, most of the time live albums are just the songs played by the band. Like, especially these days, you get bands sounding how they sound Mm. in a big stadium or in in an arena or in a club or whatever. Mm. And it's just that with them going, thanks very much in between the songs. Mm. And you hear some clapping. Mm. And that's basically become what a live album is yeah a lot of them yeah uh yeah yeah, a hell of a lot yeah yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) most of them too many um but this is very rare in a live album that like for a start it's only just as you as you said it that i've gone oh yeah shit there's no band in this it's just him exactly (laughs) yeah well this is what i was saying about him learning to accompany himself Mm. you know um it is literally him and a guitar yeah the whole thing you know all you know two and a half hours of it and 
hearing these bare bones versions of songs that became way more fleshed out on Grace, for example, I mean, Eternal uh, Eternal Life, uh-huh. Mojo Pin, Grace, yeah. is just fascinating hearing the bare structures of those songs and how he put them together. But then there's also, also these amazing covers. So uh, The Way Young Lovers Do. Oh my God, I like the performance of The Way Young Lovers Do uh, that he does on this. I mean, it goes into this, it's basically Jane, uh, Jeff Buckley scatting um and it, it, i i think this is an example of one of the times where people could could pull him up and go well this is the christina aguilera part of jeff buckley but yeah. it's uh it's so much more soulful and it's so much more it, it it feels like like i say an exorcism it feels like something's just screaming out of him and he just needs to he just he's just He's just scatting and accompanying himself like percussively on the guitar. It goes on for 10 minutes and it doesn't feel like 10 minutes. It feels like about six. Uh, but like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's so riveting and it's so fascinating. Like hearing him do that when he was completely raw and unchecked. And at that point, unsigned, obviously being, you know, courted by shitloads of executives and so on and so forth, but, but basically unsigned. Mm. Um, I've mentioned already Strange Fruit by Nina Simone. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Such, I mean, the way that he sings those songs, uh, so sings those lyrics about, you know, bodies waving in the, uh, waving in the trees on the, in the poplar yeah. trees or something like that. Strange Fruit, if you're unaware, is just a song about, uh, well, black people being burnt at, uh, uh, like slaves isn't it yes. slave like, help me out here KKK. Slave, KKK um, yeah yeah. and originally yeah. by Nina Simone and Jeff Buckley's sympathetic version of it empath- sympathetic version of it is just so wonderful and yeah. beautiful it, th- that is amazing and I, that's the other thing I think I mean as, as I was saying about the live album and for you know for, for me kind of the often pointlessness of of the live album of not feeling like you're in the place or not really understanding why yeah. this moment particularly like hey you know it's another like god bless motorhead i love them but how many fucking motorhead live albums were there there was a million and they all basically yeah. sounded like the motorhead on that tour at that time which you yeah. don't really need once you've got no sleep to hammersmith you don't really need of any not. of that yeah, of yeah, course yeah. it's just them playing in a big shed somewhere with loads of people singing along and they basically managed to sound the same for like 35 years or whatever and so listening to this it was like well this is like you say the kind of the 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 the, the spark of obviously someone who is incredibly special mm. Yeah. Like obviously someone who is incredibly talented and incredibly special and playing in, uh, doing a, a live record where it's, it sounds like you say, it sounds really intimate. It's raw and it doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like a proper music venue. It, it kind of isn't. It's a coffee yeah, shop. Like, you know, it's a coffee shop. It's yeah, a coffee so, shop. I mean, uh, it was it was on the Lower East Side um, of New York. It was basically in his neighbourhood, and that's the, the reason he started playing it was convenience. Like he lived around the corner, I believe. Yeah. And you always but, get the feeling that, like, the people that are there. I'm sure the people that are there now go, oh, I saw Jeff Buckley, and I was there. At that yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the best thing ever. But there's not like raucous applause. At the end no, of it's really every, applause, isn't every it? song. And it's yeah. almost like people that it's like, yeah, I'm just going to come for a coffee, mate. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? And, um, but everybody, everyone is stone cold silent whilst he's playing. Yeah. 
And uh, I think that's really interesting. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what the vibe was like at Sinead. I never went and I don't know if it's there anymore, but I don't believe it is. Um, but, you know, I don't know if it was, if they did have notices around going, you know, when the artists are playing, please be respectful. But you can hear, you can hear people talking in between songs and stuff like that. So yeah. I don't think they've just faded. No, that. no, I don't. I mean, it would probably make sense if someone was like, you're shit, mate. Like, get rid of that. But like... <laughs> But actually, what it reminded me of, and this is a pretty weird comparison, but there's if, if, my favourite, com- the, the, the greatest, I'm just going to say it's a fact, the greatest comedian ever is Richard Pryor, right? Uh-huh. He is the greatest stand-up comedian who ever will live, right? And if you watch Richard Pryor live in concert, it is, uh, which is from 1978, I want to say. So you watch Richard Pryor live in concert in 1978. It is the the greatest recorded piece of stand-up comedy ever. Like absolutely perfect in every way. And you still put it on today and you go, that is perfect. And this theatre, this kind of amphitheatre full of people watching this guy go through this really slick, really unbelievably brilliant routine. That is perfect. You go back two years and he released a DVD called um, Richard Pryor Live and Smoking, which is him in a club working out his act. I mean, if you know anything about Richard Pryor, sorry to go off on one slightly differently Mm. at the moment, but if you know anything about Richard Pryor, you'll know that he was a kind of Vegas club comic doing very sort of... um, uh, Michael McIntyre style kind of vanillary material uh, and one day just went I don't want to do this anymore and decided to completely change his act and be much more outrageous and raw and more honest and uh, and there's a recording of him playing this club I think it is in New York playing a club in New York which is him working out how to be that comedian and people aren't really laughing Mm. And people aren't really heckling him. Well, people aren't heckling him and people aren't really laughing. People are just sort of like, okay. And you can kind of see him like cherry picking reactions in his mind to then take to another place Mm. where he can blossom. Mm. And I feel a little bit like what this record does or what you hear on this record is somebody like you, I guess like you quite rightly said, somebody who is naturally a genius Jeff Buckley a a very very natural Mm. talent Mm. Um, finding out exactly how he can pinpoint his talents for another time yeah I think that's there's definitely some truth in that obviously these recordings are probably the best of those uh, that figuring that out and also uh, let's not forget that he was a session musician for a very long time before that so I think Whilst he was kind of, you know, he used to play in jazz bands. He played a metal band at some point. He played reggae. He talked with a reggae, reggae. artist. I yeah. His yeah. name escapes me off the yeah. top of my head. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, so I think I think he, he's one of these artists who sat back for a long time and just watched, mm-hmm. you know, for a very, very long time. But um, Sinead was the beginnings of him trying his own material out. Um, even though there are a lot of covers, if you get the deluxe version, it's it's mainly covers, but there's still sort of six originals or something along those lines. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think just adapting what's brilliant about, even though there's all these colors uh, covers, like they all sound like Jeff Buckley. I mean, there's an incredible Bob Dylan cover, just like a woman uh, on this on this, which is just like so much more. It's that song where. Um, He's, he's like she breathes like a woman and she talks like a woman but she uh what is it she she feels like a little girl or something like that like it's yeah. it's just it's so and in jeff buckley's 
voice and timber it's just so heartbreaking it's so it's just it's just wonderful you know mm. night flight as uh, a led zeppelin cover yeah for, for, again from physical graffiti uh-huh. the way that he you know i mean intimidating robert plant <laughs> who, who wants to do that yeah but buckley does it in a way which is uniquely him and it doesn't sound like he's just trying to rip off rip off robert plant and he accompanies himself on guitar at the same time and and does a really good jimmy page you know he's not like i say he's not it's not histronics and he's not doing like a mental solo or anything like that but he's managing to, managing to do both at the same time in an amazing amazing way um and yeah the version of night flight on this is absolutely amazing um there's a beautiful moment this song called calling you which is by an artist who i don't really know called bob telson no, but but such a beautiful use of his falsetto and his voice and you can hear how he would use that later and stuff like corpus christi carol and stuff like that you know there's so many moments where you can you listen to this and you can hear how he uh how he became who he was and then used use those techniques on grace I yeah think. absolutely um, so that is it live at Chennai. that's your bronze medal for the yeah, jeff buckley yeah. back catalog absolutely. now i guess before we go on to silver um uh we, well we could no, i think i know what silver is so i'm wondering if we should just dive in straight away after that but i was going to say we could shout out a few of the other uh places to go in jeff buckley's back catalog first or do you just want to go smashing straight Let's in? Let's smash straight in. Oh. So Renfrey, what is uh, what's getting the silver medal? My silver is uh, Grace. Well, I bet yeah. you didn't expect that. Press stop right now. <laughs> right in. Now, um, let, okay, so that is a maddening statement for somebody who's got one album, one, <laughs> and you've already yeah. said one perfect album. And yeah. you are now telling me that it is one 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 for one, and it's perfect, but it's not the best thing f- to listen to in his back catalogue. Not in my opinion, no. Okay, which, and you're more than entitled to your back catalogue. Uh, your back catalogue. <laughs> you are more entitled to your back catalogue. You are more than entitled to your opinion. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm interested, Renfrey, in w- why that is. The reason is basically because. Um, there is a live album coming up and I think Jeff Buckley in his live element is uh, where he really shines. Um, much of the material from that album is on Grace. There's one or two songs missing, which I'll get to, but uh, sorry, much of, much of the material on that live album is from Grace. Yeah. Uh, plus there are a couple of additional songs which never made it onto Grace, which are amazing. You just right. think, how the hell didn't those get on there? But I think... Um, I think Jeff Buckley was ever so slightly... I don't think he was as comfortable in the studio as he was live. I think he could really, really lose himself um, in a live setting. Yeah. I think they managed to find ways to get him comfortable in the studio. And it, 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 he never sounds awkward on Grace. It's not like you listen to it and go, oh, he doesn't sound like he's, no, he's you know, he sounds like he's out of his element or anything like that. Because you don't, like definitely not. But um, in comparison to the way that, you know, the, the way that he was so free and would literally change songs on the fly live, 
that was his absolute element and obviously he was not able to do that on a studio album so um i think these are the blueprints i think these are very much i think that thing that i said about him changing songs every time he played them i mean just like jack white nowadays um yeah jeff it's a good comparative yeah artist i think jeff buckley walks on stage his uh well, I believe Jack White will actually tell his band the first song that they're going to play. Jeff Buckley didn't even do that. Jeff Buckley would just be like, he, he would literally make up the set list as, and do what he wanted to play as he felt like it. And you can hear in the live recordings, he begins playing something. And there's actually a great DVD where you can actually see them sort of working out what's he playing. Oh, right. He's playing that. And then the drums come in and then yeah. the bass come in and, um, and I think that is an artist truly in their element. And you just you just can't capture that on a studio album. Mm. So that's why Grace is silver. It's it's fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Well, we're going to talk about it right now. It was released on the 23rd of August in 1994. If you go back to 1994, I've just got up some of the albums that were released in 1994. Definitely maybe by Oasis. Mm -hmm. Park Life by Blur. Mm-hmm dookie by green day ill communication by the beastie boys super unknown by soundgarden mm. the downward spiral by nine inch nails mm. live through this by hole dummy by porter zed uh music for the jilted generation by the prodigy monster by rem mellow gold by beck the debut weezer album mm. uh Dogman star by suede under the pink by tori amos uh jar of flies by alice in chains um the Holy Bible by the Manchester mm. Preachers, Trouble Gum by Therapy, Second Coming by the Stone Roses, His and Hers by Pulp, Smash by Offspring, um, Voodoo Lounge by the Rolling Stones, Let Love In by Nick Cave, 16 Stone by Bush. We're getting to the like, bottom of the barrel now. Uh, no, we're not because um, a good record, Far Beyond Driven by Pantera uh -huh. came out that year. Um, Teenager of the Year by Frank Black came out that year. Uh, Euthanasia by Megadeth came out that year. Stranger Than Fiction by Bad Religion came out that year. Just as a kind of overview of where alternative music was in 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 that place. So let's try and pick that apart. Uh, also, Nirvana Unplugged came out yes, that year as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, you know, for many people kind of signals the, the, the death <laughs> of grunge for want of a... Uh -huh. Yeah. less shitty thing to say yep. um, you know uh, so you're looking at alternative rock and grunge being the kind of definitive musical movement you're looking at Britpop about to tag in hmm. and take that away you're looking and that it's certainly in the United Kingdom anyway with Suede and Blur and Oasis uh, you're looking at um, a massive hit but really metal in terms of metal you've got Nine Inch Nails and you've got Pantera and the massive obviously Far Beyond Driven was a US billboard number one, number one yeah. in, in the US which I you know which is incredible probably still the heaviest album ever to get to number one um, and then you've got Smash by Spring, Dookie by Green Day Strangers in Fiction by Bad Religion you've got what is about to become the onset of pop punk cartoonish day glow mm -hmm. pop punk where the fuck does Jeff Buckley fit into all that? Well, he doesn't. 
That's the thing. Yeah. Um, Grace doesn't fit in at all with any of that. And I think it's quite telling that uh, upon release, Grace was not ignored, but um, it didn't do great, to be honest. Well, uh, I, I believe um, the uh, the highest it ever reached, it kind of peaked in the US Billboard 200 at position 149. Yes, exactly. So, which, you know... It's not. It's, it's certainly not the sign of a classic album, no. uh, and I think um, it got mixed reviews. Uh, not bad reviews, but but certainly, but but definitely mixed. Mm. Um, and I don't think people really knew how to take it, and they were still still comparing him to Tim Buckley constantly, and <clears throat> just didn't realise exactly the scope of what it was and what he was trying to do i think the um sheer uh, vastness of his influences was still confusing people it was kind of like how can you have a benjamin Britten song and then follow it up with this hard rock song <laughs> you know yeah. that like that was just too like out there for people to consider i think also um i feel like this album was recorded in a timeless way yeah. I don't think there's really anything on it that you can you can go oh well that's a 90s record you know yeah. maybe one or two the guitar tones and settings and stuff like that but but even that I think is debatable. I think there's um well, I was going to talk about it later but I think there's a kind of there's a there was a uh, a funk kind of um rhythm in the kind of the after the sort of Red Hot Chili Peppers and Faith No More, uh, and then going into stuff like Rollins Band and yeah. to a lesser extent Helmet or Prong yeah. um, in kind of hard rock, there was certainly uh, a bit of pop to like a bit of, uh, not pop as in pop music, but mm-hmm. a, a bit of kind of twang and pop and sort of funk. There was that almost kind of lots of things had uh, a kind of funk backbeat to it. Mm-hmm. And I think Grace there are bits of it where you, you could kind of hone in on the rhythm section and go, that's got a bit of maybe eternal 90s life. Yeah. sort of funk rhythm to it. Yeah. Uh, I also think in terms of making it comparable to all those albums that I've just read out, of all the bands that I've read out, really the only one that shares any sort of DNA with him at all, I'd say is probably Kurt Cobain. In terms of the amount of stuff that Kurt listened to, the amount of stuff Kurt was influenced by, the way in which Kurt didn't want to be pigeonholed as a rock artist or a punk artist or a heavy metal singer or a you know or do you know or, or a Gen X, this kind of reluctant Generation X um, spokesman and figurehead. Mm. Uh, I mean, I was going to talk about it. I'll probably talk about it in a little bit, but if you go on YouTube and you watch, I mean, you were saying about the, his in-between song patter uh, on, on the, the, the live album. Yeah. But if you watch the Glastonbury again, the, the, the crowd at Glastonbury, if you watch his Glastonbury 95 performance are so respectful in right. between song. There's a bit where um, I can't remember what, in what songs it's in between, but there's a bit where they basically retune up and he's like, Oh, can I have a bit more kick drum in my monitor? Can I get, and the crowd is just basically completely silent and he sort of introduces the band and people go, yeah, yeah. And nobody says it. And, and then he's like, Oh, you're, you're being kind of quiet. Like, Oh, you don't cheer for me anymore. And you just get a glimpse 
of this guy who is really fragile and mm. I, and mm. like i say the, the he's playing the pyramid stage at glastonbury and you mm. think the pyramid stage in glastonbury in the 90s uh, you know, just before Pulp or the Stone Roses or Offspring were going to play, yeah. would be this rowdy, raucous, mud-covered, loader-like, Grebo bastard. But it is pin-drop silence for Jeff Buckley when he's playing. And even when he's tuning up, people are just there, like, hanging on his every word. But I think, weirdly, he looked at that and went, you don't like me. Mm. Um, mm. And so I think he has that, He's definitely got that in common with with Kurt, but apart from that, I can see that. I th- I think that I, I I don't disagree, but then at the same time, I would also say I don't think I don't. Kurt Cobain's influences were undeniably broad. I'm yep. not sure they were as broad as Jeff. No, 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 no. I um, I don't think they were either. But I think in terms of the albums that we've just talked about, yes, what are Noel Gallagher's influences? The Beatles. Sure. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. it. Uh, the Beatles you know, and Paul Weller. You know, what, what, are, what are Blur's influences? <clears throat> the, the Jam and the Who. And yeah. yeah. Very like, and, and kind of whatever was going on in London. I mean, even a band like Weezer, like Rivers Cuomo, who loves all kinds of different music. I don't think you could put on a Weezer album and go, there's like, there's, you know, there's anything particularly relatable to Jeff Buckley there apart from, well, no, I don't think there is anything. No, no, there not, is. not on the Blue Album, no, certainly. And, no. and, and even though he was clearly, you know, into influenced by Bad Brains and Patti Smith and punk rock and the MC5, the punk that we're talking about, Bad Religion uh, and Green Day and mm. Offspring, mm. there's not even a vague hint of any of that. So mm. the, the only reason I bring up Kurt is because I think there is a, a, a really kind of honest fragility about both of those characters and i think in terms of the artists that we're comparing them to although jeff buckley obviously has a wider reaching vaster musical knowledge than kirk bain i would admit i think i think kirk was somebody who had just as much disdain for the idea of being pigeonholed as an artist as jeff buckley did. yeah almost certainly almost certainly and i think they probably both had that sort of obviously Nirvana shows were more raucous than Jeff Buckley shows but when they were doing the MTV performance it you know it did almost feel like like when where did you sleep last night that performance yeah. you know it does feel like everyone was just holding their breath until his yeah. performance finished and I think that's the case with most Jeff Buckley stuff there are um uh there are other examples there are uh I was going to go into this later but um something that happened with Jeff quite a lot. Uh, Hallelujah came a, became a bit of a albatross around his neck. Yeah. Uh, I think it always has been. Um, and there's a DVD uh, called Live in Chicago where there's a guy just shouting out for Hallelujah and he has like a massive go at him. He's just like, what the fuck, man? Like, will you just stop shouting for that song? And like... <clears throat> the more you shout for it, the less likely it is that I'm going to play it and all this kind of thing. So that would occasionally happen, but that probably came a little bit later, uh-huh. like just, just after Grace was released, I imagine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for the most part, when you hear performances and so everyone's just like, yeah, stony silence and just so in awe of what this guy's doing. And um, I mean, that's, I mean, we should probably get into the kind of, so it was released. And as you said, I think it's fair to say there was no real, um, scene for Jeff Buckley to no. exist in. Well, I think he was. Um, I think he was aiming to be timeless, and I think that's what he's done. Mm. Um, there were so many 
there, there were so many different styles on Grace, but then it somehow manages to meld and f- feel organic. And yeah. it feels, it kind of feels weirdly more timeless the more time goes on. Like, like I, you know, I do think Grace could have been released yesterday yeah. if you listen to it, you know, because if anything, I think they strip things away. There was a sparseness mm. to um, to the way that he recorded. Um, I don't want to go back to Hallelujah all the time, but Hallelujah is actually a really good example. Uh, we should probably talk about Hallelujah. Well, I think we should go in pretty deep in Hallelujah, yeah. but, but yeah. not yet. Um, okay. Uh, what's your favourite song on Grace? Ay, ay, ay. That's a tough one, isn't it? Um, I mean, it changes all the time. Mm. Uh, Presumably it changes all the time because there is no... It's easy to pick your favourite ACDC song because you're just going, what thing do I like to say alongside this riff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Which is every (laughs) ACDC song. So my favourite one is the the sound that I like to make alongside it the most. Whereas with this... So much of it depends on mood. Yeah. So much of it depends on where you are mm-hmm. and how you're feeling. And uh, because it it's such an unbelievably dexterous and varied record, more so than I, it only really hit me listening to it over the past sort of week or so. Mm. Again, for the first time, and I've not really listened to it for a long time. I have to say, but I listened to it a lot sort of after he died I, I got it and um i think like like many people i kind of got into him after he died and um and got this got this record and i just thought it was a kind of the jeff buckley sound whereas listening to it now it's really like you say uh, corpus christi carol uh, in comparison with like you know last goodbye or mm. like, it's just huge differences and, and differences within I mean my my personal favourite song on it is So Real oh okay right so as you were saying all that I was like thinking 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 the truth is is it's been every song on right. Grace at some point which I think is a sign of a classic but I was like today I would say So Real yeah, yeah. probably I mean, probably So Real yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that is an unbelievable song. Oh, it's incredible. And it's not really talked about very much. It was released as a single, I believe. You know, So Real wasn't, uh, almost didn't make it to the album. Did it not? Yeah. So um, there's a uh, song, whenever you buy Grace now, and obviously listen to it on Spotify, because it'll be a deluxe version. Um, there's a song called Forget Her, which is sort of placed yeah. on the end, yeah. like track 11. And Forget Her, Forget Her's a decent song. It's yeah, perfectly like it. good. But it was never, um, it was never completed to Jeff's satisfaction, and the label were pushing him to get forget her on there. And then at the last minute, he was like, "No, I'm going to put so real on instead." So so real replaced forget her, yeah. and thank fuck for that because it's forget her's great. It's not so real though, no, is it? I think so real is brilliant. Is, is amazing, and yeah. again, it's the way that. That that to me is a sort of the summation of this record because yeah. it's really beautiful. It's really catchy. I think the 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 rhythm section, um, what they do, in comparison with what he does, uh, is really amazing. But there's a little there's there's one little pocket right at the end where they all just clang together, mm. 
and it's fucking brilliant. And they, and they only do it for like, I mean, what, ten, five, mm-hmm, ten seconds? Mm-hmm. It's so quick. Yeah. But you go like, oh, that is really, and it's kind of, it's heavy and it's really exciting and you get this kind of massive sort of fizz of, of adrenaline yep. coming out of it. And then it goes back and the song's over and you just go, oh, shit. Yeah. And it, it's a it's a proper journey. Like, it's a brilliant, brilliant song. Well, the, um, the verses are so kind of weird and almost like mystical. Yeah. Um, the guitar line is uh, almost atonal a little bit. Um, and uh, it sounds like a dream. A lot of Jeff Buckley's um, music was inspired by dreams. I don't know if this song specifically was inspired by a dream, but it's definitely... Um, it's definitely dreamlike and it has these really weird uh verses which make you feel almost a little bit uncomfortable yeah and then the chorus comes in and you know just soaring vocal comes in and it's and it just everything it's almost like a release you know um and uh i think jeff jeff did that a lot there was a very kind of sexualized way that he would perform songs in a sense um that kind of build up of tension and then release which happened a lot you know throughout his career he explored it even more after grace i think but um this is a really good example of that and then there's that amazing weird guitar solo which is basically just feedback um (laughs) yeah and then it all stops and then one of the best bits of the whole song is him just going really, really close to the mic and going, I love you. And then it all comes in again. But then he says, I'm, but I'm afraid to love you. And like, lyrically, the guy is just a genius as well. Like, mm. so real. It's just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful song. I yeah. think like lyrically, like he goes, yeah, you're, you're quite right. And he goes to places in his lyrics where, again, much like I think his voice, where you say like, as opposed to Christina Aguilera showing off her vocal range, Jeff Buckley is just like out of fucking can't contain what's inside him. And I feel like you listen to the lyrics on, like if you listen to a song like Eternal Life, Eternal Life had me like, I was listening to it today and it had like the hairs on the back of my neck were like standing up listening to it. Cause especially when you start thinking about him as a person and, mm-hmm. and what happened to him and stuff, it like, it really, it very, very affecting. Mm. And he, I, that might be something that people don't often, because he's such a kind of, he's got these vocal histronics and he was such as kind of, uh, got this massive octave range and he had this incredible, like, way of being able to play the guitar i think sometimes people they tend to not be able to focus on too many things on artists Mm -hmm. so they go like Mm -hmm. like you say you've just sort of mentioned a bunch of his lyrics and and i think maybe people don't often consider what he's saying yeah because it's just if i did it it's too much it's too much information to process at once Yeah, yeah yeah um there's a great fact about that vocal take uh that that vocal uh it was done in one take wow at Fucking hell. three o'clock in the morning i didn't know that yeah jesus so that was just uh yeah let's just press record and just done like that so like fucking amazing it's yeah. ridiculous it's so good that that the the vocals on that that song um so much depth and you don't know exactly what it is that he's singing about that's so real but you fucking believe that it was real <laughs> to yeah. him you know? yeah oh yeah 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 for <laughs> like, sure what i don't i i do not know what that song's about but it's it's 
yeah, it means it means so much to him, and you can hear that conveyed in that performance. Mm. It's um, yeah, it's a phenomenal song. So I suppose we should also mention uh, the people that surrounded Jeff Buckley on this record. So the main one, I guess, in terms of collaboration, would be Gary Lucas. Yes, right. So, so he met, fill he, people in on Gary Lucas. He, I don't know much about him myself. He actually originally met Gary Lucas um, at the Tim Buckley uh, concert tribute concert, right. and um, Gary Lucas was just uh, he, he's a very experimental guitarist really and I, I believe if you listen to it feels like Gary Lucas was kind of well Gary Lucas co-wrote a lot of the songs on Grace yeah. with Jeff Buckley so you just say Gary Lucas was in Captain Beefheart's band yeah yeah yeah, yeah. initially and uh, has worked with a lot of people too probably too many to mention at this yeah point, a ridiculous say. ridiculous amount of people yeah. so he attached himself to um jeff around the early 90s and um they collaborated on the material that would eventually make its way to grace for you know a couple of years they were like throwing back ideas um there's a compilation called songs to no one where you can hear the bare bones of um, a lot of the tracks that eventually made onto grace and you can basically hear how they were being composed yeah um and i believe uh, it's difficult certainly the contributions that gary lucas has made it's difficult to know exactly um there has definitely been times where i don't think disrespect i think he's always meant it in a respectful way but like since his death he's kind of piped up and gone there were a few more bits that i did on this than people realize <laughs> i'm not just i'm not trying to take anything away yeah. from jeff i just want people to blah blah blah. obviously we'll never really know but my feeling is because of the way that um the way that he played, the experimentation that he played with, and you can hear the bare bones of the songs on Live at Chenet, I think Gary Lucas added the um, motifs and the bells and the whistles, basically. Mm. So, for example, on the beginning of Last Goodbye, I wouldn't be surprised, I don't know this for a fact, but the slide guitar at the beginning of Last Goodbye, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was Gary Lucas and stuff like this. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but that's, no. that's... Well, I'm just looking actually at the personnel on it. And actually, Gary Lucas only plays what he's been credited as magical guitarness. There we go. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. On, on only the first two tracks. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, fair play. I did now, not I knew that. that he had done a bunch of stuff and I knew that they sort of collaborated together and he was and Jeff Buckley was quite sort of close to him. But it actually, I mean, maybe he's piping up because th in, theoretically... He, you would by reading this you'd go oh, was that it is that all he did i remember reading a it, it was specifically uh the song grace i remember he he there was um it was in a total guitar actually just right. learn how to play grace and and they sort of tried to guess who did what and and he actually wrote into total guitar and say i just want to set the record straight this is what i did and this is what jeff did right. so that's that's what i recall it being from okay um but um yeah they undoubtedly gary lucas uh, helped uh jeff's writing immeasurably i would say i don't think anyone would disagree with that in the early part of his career yeah undoubtedly yeah okay um gotta mention the is while we're talking about the people that collaborated on this record matt grondow on bass matt johnson on percussion and drums like that rhythm section on this record is fucking ludicrous They're brilliant yeah absolutely yeah. like 
unbelievable they're so t- they're just so tight and like the sound of the rhythm section as well the snare drum is so tight on uh on this record yeah um which you know i don't know if that was particularly fashionable at the time but again i think that's because they were going for a timeless kind of feel to it and all that mm. sort of thing i mean they're impressive on this record but live wow yeah. <laughs> like they're yeah, yeah, even yeah. more impressive like especially considering that they were following jeff because they didn't really know what they were doing next yeah um there were times when jeff buckley would just extend a verse by a bar or two live and they would have to follow him yeah and constantly be alert and know what he was doing and you know if jeff just decided that he wanted to warble and uh make the extend the verse a bit which you can definitely hear um quite a lot uh they <laughs> they had to go with it and and uh, you know it, yeah incredible musicians it seems a shame like looking at both of them that uh, i mean matt johnson the drummer has released a couple of his solo albums he's worked with people like rufus wainwright that makes sense um but Mick uh, Grondahl, the bass player, he had never done any other band. Really? That's really sad. Mm. That is really sad. Get in contact with us, Mick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what have you been doing? Yeah. What What are you up to? What's so, going on? Um, yeah. So, uh, like, an unbelievable rhythm section. Who, like, I've I've sort of said from from before. I th- they th- like this. Almost sounds like a, a an insult, but they, if if anyone could or did or can date Grace. I think they do. And that's not a kind of... And that sort of sounds like an insult. But I think, uh, like you say, they've gone for a timeless sound on it. I think there is something about the way that that sounds and has been recorded that sounds a bit 90s. I think that's... I understand what you're saying. But at the same time, I love that sound. Yes. And I wish more bands sounded like that, to be perfectly honest. And I absolutely adore the fact that that is a rhythm section who are locked in with each other as tightly as any rhythm section you will hear full stop yeah full stop undoubtedly and then you've got this virtuoso magician both vocally and uh in terms of guitars doing what he's doing over the top of it and i think like for me that's what makes the kind of I, i think that the breadth of material and what the songs do plus that is what makes grace really really unbelievably special to me yeah i think that's uh, as absolutely. a record yeah, um, yeah, yeah i also want to talk about the before we go i mean i think we'll have to talk about I th- the fact that the fact that it wasn't an immediate hit mm. um is is probably worth mentioning because like mm-hmm. you say where did it fit in where did, why did it not do the business straight away i just it think was, people didn't know what it was yeah I and the thing it was, it, like... was it got pretty good reviews yeah like yeah. It, it didn't get i don't think it got amazing reviews like looking at some of the i mean you go back to the wire in the united kingdom gave it the, the it was 32 of the top 50 32nd in the top 50 records of the year um the enemy it was 21st in their top 50 albums of the year yeah um it was it, pitchfork um i actually know pitchfork gave it the 69th best album of the 90s even that feels fairly low do you know yeah. what i mean although yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that happened quite a long time afterwards but um uh yeah the, it, it, there's a few i mean mojo it was its album of the year in mojo oh really number That's nine awesome. in melody maker uh 
and in something called iWeekly, which I've never heard of before in Canada, it was number four. Entertainment Weekly, it was number six. But it, it you know, it, it took a little while for the for the for the Jeff Buckley train to to get a role in. I Definitely, think. and it's still like when you consider some of the records that have gone multi quadruple billion platinum in America. Yeah. It still only just sold just over a million records. I know, I know, which is insane. But the interesting thing about this is a lot of those same publications have reevaluated how they feel about it. I'm later sure they on. fucking have. So, <laughs> and I have those statistics right here. Okay. So, uh, I don't think you mentioned Q, but um, they did a reader's vote of the 75 greatest albums of all time in 1998 when it was 75th. But right. then they did the same vote again in 2005 and Grace then ranked 13th. Right. Which is interesting. Yep. Uh, in 2003, the album was ranked uh, number 303 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Wow. Uh, 2006, Mojo named Grace number one modern rock classic of all time. That's fair enough. I mean, they did yep. call it number one, didn't they? Uh, it was also rated as Australia's second favourite album on My Favourite Album, which is a television special, uh, special that was aired by the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Oh. And in 2003... Uh, Buckley's version of Hallelujah was ranked number 259 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Uh, VH1 also rated the album number 73 on its 100 greatest albums of rock and roll. And, most impressively of all, it's David Bowie's favourite album. Yes, I know. I I didn't, until doing the research for this show, I did not know that. That's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it it really, really is. Yeah, David Bowie's I mean, you've got to, if you've not checked this album out now, that is reason enough to check out this record yeah. david bowie's favorite yeah. favorite album yeah so i mean it seems like you know death as a career mo- move is not something that we should get to just yet i don't think yeah. um but certainly when it did start to pick up a little bit and when these evaluations happened um away from the music what are the things that you think uh helped contribute to the sort of the climb becoming easier and steadier. I think people just got it. I don't think grace is something that you necessarily get straight away. Maybe. I think I think I think a lot of records just take time. And I think I mean certainly in the time that it came out, mid nineties, people were obsessed with a certain type of sound, which it didn't <laughs> fall into. You you listed them you know, that the grungy thing or the pop punk thing or whatever it was in alternative music. People I think there was an element of if it's not that, then it's not uh, good enough kind of thing, or it's not of interest. And um, but you know the irony is the the albums that remain are the albums that aren't following what's happening at yeah. the time. You know, uh, nine times out of ten, and I think that's what happened with Grace. Like I remember the first time I heard Grace, I remember being like, "Yeah, it's really good," but you know. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's really as special as people say it is. And it's just over time, just going back to it again and again and again, you just realise that once it's hooked you, you're never going to stop listening to it, really. You'll have periods where you don't listen to it for a long while, but, you know, you'll be listening to this when you're 60, yeah. in your 60s and your 70s and your 80s. Why wouldn't you? It's fucking flawless. Like just just why wouldn't you listen to this amazing beautiful uh album written by this fucking 
angelic sex demon, basically. You know. Well, do you want to know what I think, which is slightly more of yeah, a go on. cynical uh, record company suit bastard? Yes, go on. The front cover. The front cover, he looks fucking cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, That yeah. picture has become as iconic as that picture of Kurt sort of holding his guitar in front of him and yep. looking down. It's become as iconic as, you know, that John Lennon with his, uh, his sort of the, the glasses on the, the circular glasses. Any, it's become as iconic a photograph of a musician as you care to mention. Yeah. Definitely. That front cover of grace is now intrinsically linked to cool, young, beautiful, damaged, slacker, rock star. It just is. Mm, you just look mm, at him mm. on that front cover. And especially, like you say, this came out in August 1994. Mm. So it came out four months after Kurt Cobain killed himself. Mm. And again, without wanting to be cynical, um, and I hope this doesn't come across as being super duper cynical because obviously the music speaks for itself. But... Was the world looking for another damaged, pin-up, like sensitive, damaged, beautiful, and like you say, angelic icon for alternative rock? Yeah, of mm. course they were. Mm. Of course they were. Did they need somebody to fill that gap? Yeah, of course they did. Record companies were falling over themselves to sign the next kind of pretty, doe-eyed, M- moody looking sensitive mm. grunge superstar yeah i can believe Col- At- i can believe columbia wanted to push him in that direction yeah. absolutely and along and you walk into a record shop and you see this kind of part sid vicious part johnny depp like dude holding and a 19 like looking at the floor looking sullen at the floor holding a 1950s like chrome, like no microphone. chrome radio mm, microphone mm, yeah <sighs> it's an amazing image it's it, yeah it is and like i say image. it's become one of the one of the iconic album artwork covers yeah. and certainly in terms of a photo of an artist the the front cover of grace is i'm i'm actually sitting here and i'm thinking with it abbey road mm-hmm. like in terms of just a picture of people uh blonde on blonde um maybe the doors the doors uh, yeah la woman yeah uh, there's but even that it's not just one one do i'm trying to think of somebody where it's literally just like like i would say it's as iconic an image as the front cover of like like a virgin by but if i would yeah. say or or like whatever you want to mention purple rain like what i yeah. mean maybe not quite as big as purple rain but certainly so. in in terms of rock music i mean yeah yeah it's an unbelievably powerful iconic image which again you know we'll probably get into what the the, the acceleration of the legend of jeff buckley once he passed away yeah yeah but i i can't help but feel that if this album cover, if, if this is the same cover as the Black album, like, <laughs> yeah. would people have been like, who is that? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a very, very valid point. Mm-hmm. Um, and not really one I've uh, thought about. But yeah, it's very, very difficult to think of anything more iconic. I was just wondering, but I'm sort of not sure about even saying it, but maybe Nick Cave's Let Love In. Do you think that's as iconic? Not quite. I don't think it's as iconic. I mean, yeah. you know, literally, even if, you, if, even if you're just thinking about album, if you just think about iconic albums, artwork from the 90s, right? I would say... Nevermind never is mind, the one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nevermind is the obvious one. I guess, like, ironically, having just mentioned, like, being kind of a little bit, you know, like, dismissive of it, I guess the Black Album by Metallica yeah, yeah, yeah. is also another one. Um, and, you know, there are a few, but I don't know that many. I think maybe What's the Story Morning Glory looks like, is, yeah. and even Part Life as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of just just the cover alone, there's not many more striking or instantly recognizable as the front cover of grace when you get those books which are like the 1001 greatest albums of all time you would not bulk at seeing grace on the cover of that no you know at no, all. No, no no uh so yeah absolutely and it came at a time where it was rare to you know just here's a picture of me like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it didn't happen that much at that point yeah definitely know? so i think i think we should probably give a shout out to that that picture because yeah. it is such an icon an iconic image um and also you know the other thing is and we might as well do it now uh hallelujah yeah you know it's very very rare that somebody covers a song and it becomes the definitive version of a song um but alexandra burke did that when she, <laughs> uh, no, obviously, obviously she didn't. Obviously she didn't. Um, yeah, so Leonard Cohen's version. I listened to Leonard Cohen's version today. Mm. It's all right. It's um, I think it's uh, overwrought, sentimental nonsense. The Leonard Cohen version. I really don't like it. Um, yeah, mm. I think. Uh, I don't so, like it when all the choiry bits come. No, it's, it that's, is that's crap. It is the choiry bits. There's a hallelujah. You know, yeah. it's very gospel yeah. And um, the accompaniment, the uh, guitar underneath is so simple. I th- like, it's, it's, it's just sort of really simple arpeggios of, you know, like quite normal chords. Normal uh-huh. chords is a weird way to put it. But it's really, really simple. And, and, and Cohen's, Cohen's performance of it is fine. And obviously the lyrics that he... Um, wrote for it are brilliant although uh, i believe leonard cohen wrote something insane like 60 different verses for hallelujah and he just chops and changes them as he as he feels um jeff buckley took some from the uh cohen version um i I think i think we need to give a shout out to john kale i was gonna say i didn't know this but it's the john kale version that Jeff Buckley was yeah. influenced by, not the Leonard Cohen version. Yeah. And another thing that people, you know, Buckley uh, detractors say is, uh, oh, you know, his most famous song, he ripped it off of John Cale, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, I would say that John Cale took Cohen's song and massively improved it and then Buckley perfected it. It's as simple as that, as far as I'm concerned. I think the way that John Cale does it is brilliant. And Jeff Buckley was undoubtedly, uh, I mean, he probably heard the Cohen version, I would imagine. But, yeah. you know, it was undoubtedly the John Cale version that he was taking his uh, spin from. Um, but then he delivers it so much 
in um, um, such an incredible way i mean for my money far better than kale and the accompaniment that he does just that long-winded intro just him and a so a guitar with shit drenched in in reverb um you know it's like a a minute long intro which goes on there's none of that in the cohen version at all um it's it's an absolute masterclass in terms of taking a song and making it your own which is what buckley had been doing at that point for the past three four five years that's what he was doing a lot in the shanae days and things like that um it is it is a, a, a almost perfect six minutes of music six and a half minutes of music music i think there's a better version um we, rufus wainwright no no, no i think i think shrek <laughs> i think <there's, laughs> i think there's a better jeff buckley version oh um but uh the version on grace is outrageously good um and <laughs> sorry i just have bonjour's uh ass in my face uh, i'm, I'm not cutting this out no don't cut this out it's, slightly, it's so it's, weird but go on talking about one of the most beautiful songs of the 90s and uh, uh yeah i've got this cat's ass in my face um and uh yeah I, th- I think i think what buckley does with it is really really massively massively impressive yeah. um compared to this is the thing when people when people use that as a stick to beat him with how how do you how do you take a song like that and make it your own as much as jeff buckley i mean that's the sign of a true artist in my yeah, opinion it really is. i think the people who there are so many bands you know when you get those like kerrang cds and those metal hammer cds and and the majority okay, of don't them, call out metal hammer uh, like, oh, please, no, wait, wait, please, but, please please <laughs> when you get the, when you get those cds and there's like tons and tons and tons of covers and I mean, it's not it's not calling out those guys because it's calling out the bands and saying nine times out of ten, yeah, a lot of those covers are just straight ahead covers because really those bands just don't know what else to do with them and uh-huh. don't have any imagination whatsoever. And I think the bands that take a song and completely change it and make it something totally different, I think that's where the special bands are absolutely um and i think those those cd cover mounts i'm talking about are quite a good barometer of good bands <laughs> and bad bands personally in yeah my no, they are, you're right um but um yeah so so but i think you know jeff buckley spent there's definitely more jeff buckley covers than there are um uh jeff buckley originals out there i mean we should say there's actually of the 10 songs on grace actually three of them are covers yeah um lilac wine uh corpus christi carol and hallelujah so um that was his bread and butter for a very long time but he was just fucking great at it yeah he, you know, was, he was really i mean that's the thing i think and as well like the other thing whenever you i think the the, the kind of the proof is always in these these songs that become iconic songs for me the proof is in when you, you know, people say the, oh, it's overplayed. Oh, I can't listen to Smells Like Teen Spirit anymore. Yeah. It's overplayed. Yeah. You go six months to a year without listening to Smells Like Teen Spirit. If you actively avoid it for that yes. long, yes, and then go and then make a point of going, I'm going to put Smells Like Teen Spirit on. You go, oh, 
fucking hell. It's almost like this listening is, to it for the first yeah, time, this isn't is it? Unbelievable. Yeah. And I, I mean, Smell It Teen Spirit for me is the sort of the gold standard of that because I do do that quite yeah. a lot. And I'm always just like, this is unbelievable. This yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. Um, there are some that I, some that I don't. I mean, I never want to hear Sweet Child of Mine ever again. <laughs> like honestly, I don't. I even like, it came on today on a playlist that I was listening to, some eighties rock playlist I was listening to. And I was like, oh, fucking sweet child of mine. Even when I played it live, I was like, oh, fucking sweet child of mine. And I'm literally, I'm done with it. I'm not saying it's a bad song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know me, what you mean. I know what like, you mean. There are certain songs that are absolutely overplayed. Like, but I will never get bored of Back in Black. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll mm-hmm. never get mm-hmm. bored of that. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Whereas I think at this point, I kind of am bored of Whole Lot of Love. I don't need mm-hmm. to listen to the Whole Lot of Love. And it's just like some songs that are overplayed, I don't want to. I don't want to hear but I used to love Bohemian Rhapsody I don't want to hear Bohemian mm-hmm. Rhapsody ever mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. Um, and Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley would be one of those songs where you'd go right well this is going to go one of two ways I'm either going to go well, I admit it's brilliant but it's kind of been ruined for me or you put it on and you go Jesus Christ I've I, I've heard this a thousand times and yet it still um, really really affects me and today I listened to it and it was so good mm. that I put it on straight again straight away because mm-hmm. it is fucking unbelievable. It's, it's, it's so brilliant. It's a almost it's a perfect rendition. I mean, yeah. the 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 best my my, my favorite bit is probably his sigh at the beginning. You know, on the recorded yeah. version, he just goes, and it's 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 almost as if that sigh could almost be like a future premonition of how fed up he would get of that song because it really <laughs> yeah. did become a, uh, a, a albatross around his neck. But, you know, it, it, it's, there's so much about it that's just so beautiful. And in Jeff Buckley's hands, it's just, it, it, it is wonderful. I don't, I don't think, you know, probably the first time I heard Grace, it was my favourite track on the record. But yeah. I don't think, it's not been my favourite for a long time. Um I, I, it, I, obviously it's something that we have to talk about but it, it, it people who are like oh Jeff Buckley yeah that hallelujah guy yeah yeah is fucking annoying because it's like <laughs> are you yeah. fucking kidding me is that all you get from Jeff Buckley because whilst it is an almost perfect six and a half minutes there's a lot more well I've said it a lot I think Grace is actually a perfect 51 minutes however long yeah. it is you know um there's a lot to talk about with Buckley and it's not just hallelujah, but Absolutely. fair play. It is pretty, pretty That's fucking special. decent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty special. special. Yeah. Um, it was actually, I think, again, we'll get to kind of his death later on, but that and uh, the fact that it's been used in the West Wing, uh, Crossing Jordan, Without a Trace, the OC, of course, yeah. House, Dirt, Criminal Minds, ER, Third Watch, Ugly Betty, LAX, NCIS, Justica, I don't know what that is, um, Sensei, and the films Feast of Love, The Educators, Vi- no, they're not even, and Lord of War. I mean, not even big films. But like, obviously, it's odd to me that he's not bigger in the US when you think House, The OC, ER, Ugly Betty, The West Wing, like massive, massive shows mm. that would have given him massive, massive exposure. And still, he feels like a sort of a cult. Like he's much more of a cult artist. I mean, he is a cult artist. I think all over the world, but particularly in the US, mm. he's still mu- much more of a cult artist than uh, 
than he is in like you mentioned Australia I think mm. he sold as many records just in that little part of the world than yeah. he has in, in America but I think um, I think a lot of people who would hear Hallelujah in, in that way would just um, Google if they knew the name of the song Hallelujah and there are so many different versions I mean Bon Jovi's covered it Joy Rufus Wainwright yeah um, oh god uh, this is off by the top of my head but um it's been covered by so many different people. I mean, there's 18, 19, 20 versions yeah, of it there out is, there yeah. by various different artists. So Bono. Did Bono do? <laughs> um, okay, interesting. Um, you know, like, and I think the thing is, is the, the John Cale version is definitely worth listening to, 100%, but yeah. I don't think anyone's reached the heights of the Jeff Buckley version, you know, fact. End Saying of. that, I've not heard the Catherine Jenkins version. So. <laughs> Susan Boyle did it, obviously. Obviously, Alexandra Susan Burke. Boyle, yeah. Um, you know. Uh, there's, a, there's a few more, actually. Tim Minchin probably did it all right. Yeah. Uh, Justin Timberlake. Did he? Did it with Ooh. Matt Morris and Charlie Sexton. Okay. Um, so there you go. Uh, and yeah, like you say, a few other people, Willie Nelson and uh, Miles Kennedy have done it as well. Regina Spector did it as well. Bringing so. sexy back to hallelujah. Mm. Um, Jeff Buckley uh, did say that he saw his version of hallelujah as a sort of ode to the orgasm. Oh. Oh. Yeah. And when he gets to the live version, I mean, it's, you know, there's, yeah. and there's an extra kind of couple of minutes on the, the live version at Olympia, yeah. which is oh, definitely yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. But it's, um, but I find that really interesting. I find the way that Jeff Buckley's really sort of sexualized, um, but he's never, he's never ever sexist. Yeah. Which is actually quite a difficult uh, balance to strike, especially in rock music. Let's face it, there's been a lot of sexist bullshit in rock music um, over the years, but he never kind of objectified or anything like that. And just the fact that it's an ode to, you know, this thing that most of us crave at some point, um, you know, and uh, there's those, those, those lines. I think the key lines in terms of the whole orgasm stuff is... Um, remember when I moved in you and the holy dove was moving too and yeah. every breath we drew was hallelujah I just got a oh, tingle not yeah. an orgasm tingle just a tingle uh up my spine <laughs> you know like those those lyrics I know they're not Buckley's but but the way he delivers those you know that's what he was concentrating on for his version and uh yeah was just thinking about very dirty thoughts by yeah, the sounds that, of it but I yeah i didn't know yeah. that but that's interesting but it's quite a beautiful sentiment i think you yeah know. okay uh, so I, I was going to ask you this in terms of kind of closing up on grace first of all renfrey what sort of album like if you would like i know people get like those you don't need to put things in genres and blah, blah 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 i'm asking you to like what what is this because i i still you know with the exception of like a bit of kind of 90s funk rock uh uh you know percussion and rhythm section and a lot of uh sort of almost proggy kind of late late 60s prog based um guitar parts and folk and alternative rock and falsetto soul vocals i what do you call grace as a record can you call it anything? Um, I'm going to be really wanky with this. Uh, it's a dreamy, psychedelic 
wispy rock album. Okay, fine. Uh, Legacy-wise, as a silver, we'll get to your gold in a second, but legacy-wise, the summation of grace. I think don't throw in too many people that have gone and ripped it off because I think we'll do that at the end (laughs) because there are a few. But um, what do you think it did for the kind of the the climate at large of of rock music? here's the weird thing. If it did anything because it was a slow burn. Well, that's, that's the thing. Lots of people try to emulate Jeff Buckley. I tried to emulate Jeff Buckley when I was a budding singer-songwriter. And I think the thing is, is he's so beyond most people's talents, it's kind of almost impossible to. So it almost stands as a document in and of itself. Um, And yes, loads of people have tried. And actually some people who have tried have done a good job of finding something else and, you know, uh, using, using Jeff Buckley as a springboard and then, you know, going elsewhere but i don't think there are some artists who you just can't replicate because they're too damn good yeah and i don't think we've had i'd be really curious to know what other people think if anyone else thinks that there's been any artists out there who have been who sort of matched buckley's abilities in terms of vocals guitar and songwriting the holy trinity but I struggle to think of anyone who has got all three down um, in yeah. in the way that Jeff Buckley did. And we're talking about a record that is 24 years old. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think in terms of, in terms of an immediate impact yeah. in the scene around him, I don't think there was one. No, I agree. I totally. Think, I think what the the the, the ironic, the kind of funny ironic thing about this record is it is an island. Yeah. In amongst a load of stuff. I mean, I often say, I think you're right in what you say. I often say about my favourite band ever, which is Tool, is that people might try and rip Tool off, but they yes. can't. They're not good enough. That that's yes. Often when you say, oh, they sound a bit like Tool, it's actually like a bad thing because you're like, you <laughs> yeah. just know it's going to be a poor yeah. imitator. Yeah, like, of Tool. Um, nobody loves me on the first Limp Bizkit album. They're like, oh, we tried to be like Tool. It's like, did you? <laughs> Fucking hell! Wow. <laughs> when did they? Oh god, that's what Fred that. Durst said. He was oh, like, yeah, well. I was really influenced by Tool, so we tried to write a Tool song, and it's like, well, you we didn't do that. <laughs> um, uh, but and, and the the only again talking about kind of comparable artists from the time i know i compared him a lot to kurt cobain but in terms of a artist who i think was doing something different but who you could go well i guess he's a bit like that it might be beck because to me beck is much more fun than jeff buckley yeah beck is not as talented uh naturally i don't think he's not been blessed with a kind of He's uh, not a prodigy. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think what he is, is a brilliant mad scientist yeah. of alternative rock and country music and hip hop and funk rock and all of these other things, which he kind of manages to blend up into his own little, and whilst always kind of sounding like Beck. Yeah. So I no, think, fair play. I yeah. think Beck and Jeff Buckley, who's again, like uh mellow gold came out this year. So it's, Beck's yeah. debut record again did did Beck affect or change the uh 
the the music scene the culture surrounding him no not really he just thought of as another kind of cool alternative artist on mellow gold yeah then odelay came out and people went what is this yeah and then midnight vultures came out and i got my dancing shoes on and everyone else went fuck off mate um <laughs> but again back uh, back's an island onto his you know he's a he's a he's a thing onto himself isn't yeah. he you know like you can't really say that back how do you classify back yeah, he, yeah, it's, it's impossible. Difficult. So yeah, so the weird thing about such a hugely important, loved, iconic record is it really made no immediate. I mean, when you think about the the cultural explosion that happened post Nevermind or post Definitely Maybe or after Nevermind the Bollocks or after you know when the Beatles, um, Sergeant Pepper's came out and the way that it changed. The, the world yeah uh there isn't really anything like that alongside grace even though this is a record that is easily easily comparable in terms of the way people feel about it and in terms of quality the way that people feel about it and in terms of how good it is it is certainly at the table sat alongside any of those huge records that you, oh, choose, yeah. to na- that you choose to name but but i think again those cultural explosions that you were talking about i mean sex pistols it's quite no disrespect to sex pistols it's easy to replicate yeah nirvana no disrespect to nirvana it's easy to replicate yeah um you know the pop punk stuff in the around this time dookie smash easy to replicate you know that that was the three chords of the truth thing that was easy to do learning jeff buckley stuff and trying to do your own version of jeff buckley stuff it's like where do you even begin like it's very difficult it's very very hard so i think um i think that's a big part of the reason for it and also this record being a slow burn taking a while to get going but yeah yeah, yeah. no absolutely it's difficult to to to, to pinpoint that although yeah. as we'll get onto later he's influenced a lot of artists definitely <laughs> so um after the album came out obviously I had to go and tour it that's that's grace uh which is Renfrey Silver and it is the Jeff Buckley album um if you're sitting here and you've got this far I'm assuming you're either really really keen to go and listen to Jeff Buckley for the first time or you you know loads about him and you're just enjoying yourself <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Grace uh obviously came out and I'm pretty stunned that it's not the gold but it's not the gold no. presumably the gold comes at some point now because he goes out on tour of support of this playing i mentioned glastonbury he also played meltdown festival he was uh elvis costello invited him i believe did he that's yeah, awesome in 1995 and uh started the tour at cbgb's so yeah, that was the sort yeah. of size we're talking about yeah cbgb's yeah like a tiny little club well he was really influenced but i mean bad brains and mc5 yeah of course so loved it so yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. just as the size of the place that's cool not, yeah, not yeah, yeah um so but renfrey like i say i imagine that it's this period that gives you the gold right yeah very much so i mean the gold for me is uh mystery white boy which is basically the document of him playing uh these the songs from grace plus a bunch of others um live between 1995 and 1996 um i think some clever enterprising soul probably at columbia or in his touring party went this guy's amazing we need to record all of his shows and um pretty much did record well they certainly recorded a huge ton of them and then um his mother mary gubert gubert i'm not sure the pronunciation but when when he passed away he she uh compiled them and released them as a 
uh, compilation in 2000. And um, like I said before, really, it's just Jeff Buckley in the studio is tamed, whereas uh, live he's untamed. And um, I think a lot of the definitive versions of the songs that are on Grace aren't on Grace. I think they're on Mystery White Boy. Um, so, for example, it uh, starts with Dream Brother and the version of Dream Brother on this is almost almost nine minutes long um, compared to the uh, studio versions five. And yeah. that's just due to Jeff extending bits and just really being in the moment and feeling uh, being just, yeah, being in the present um which is something i think he could do a lot easier live than he could in the studio and so dream brother is a great example actually he uh that song is about um chris dowd from fishbone Don't right know if you okay. know this. i know fishbone um so it's written as an urge to his friend uh chris dowd not to walk out on his pregnant girlfriend oh really Fuck. so obviously jeff had been through this uh uh having not having a father there and uh chris he 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 actually collaborated with chris dowd on a song i'll get to later um but you know they were very good friends and obviously he got this woman pregnant and was thinking of leaving her and and dream brother is about saying don't leave him but don't 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 leave this this child Mm. alone you know so the lines like don't be like the one who made me so old. Don't be like the one who left behind his name because they're waiting for you like I waited for mine and nobody ever came. It's fucking brutal, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when you realise that, it's like, whoa. I've got a quote from Buckley here as well. Um, it's a song about a friend of mine who's led a rather excessive life. He is in trouble. This song is for him. I know what self-destruction can lead to and I have tried to warn him, but I am one big hypocrite because when I called him up and told him about the song I'd written, that same night I took an overdose of hash and woke up the next day feeling terrible. Mm. It's very hard not to give in to one's negative feelings. Life is total chaos. That's a pretty typical Jeff Buckley quote, by the way, (laughs) like going off in all sorts of different directions and and a little bit of self-deprecating humour in there and everything. But like... But this version of uh, Dream Brother, like, has he adds he ad libs bits where he's just saying, "You're just like her, you're just like her," and knowing what the song is about and stuff like that. You know, is that is that to is that to this uh, is that that's this unborn baby to the mother or something like that? It just adds so much of a frisson and and you can tell that he is really desperately trying to get through to his friend like do not allow this to happen yeah um because i've lived through it and it sucks it's shit you get that feeling from the uh from the uh live version on mystery white boy far more so than i believe you do on the studio version yeah and that's just one example of why a lot of these versions are better than than the Grace versions, in my opinion. They're very different. Yep. Like, they are different. And I, I mean, you, again, I'll, I'll refer back to the playlist, which will be the playlist that gets put up that you this, guys week's hear, episode, yeah. uh, yep. this week's episode, which you made me. Yeah. Um, Eternal Life. Yeah. Live. Yeah. Uh, Fucking love the, this version so uh, much. Live um, at the Palace Theatre Melbourne. Yeah. 
um, or the Palais Theatre Melbourne, I should say, in yeah. 1996, in comparison with the, like you put two back to back. Yep. Um, Did that on purpose. <laughs> not the same song. You could play, you could play um, your mum, uh, the, uh, not yours specifically. Well, your, you could play my mum. Yeah. My mum likes it, actually. <laughs> you could play one's mother, uh, the um, the version on Grace, or certainly the version on Live at Sinead, and uh, they probably find it a very pleasant, uh, comfortable to listen to Ditty. Yeah. Um, during the uh, during the midway point in the in this version on Mystery White Boy, he just starts screaming death, death, death. <laughs> you know, it's mad. It's, just, it's crazy. It's like yeah. what? It's like what are you doing? He sounds possessed. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's really heavy, isn't it? Like, yeah. Uh, as two people who listen to some really heavy music, it's heavy, isn't it? It's a it heavy is. version it is of that song. Definitely heavy. Like, yeah. I, I, I was like, it. it, it have, have you so been some sort of fuck up here? Like, is this the same song? I'm not sure it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, I didn't really know what was going on. I thought yeah. it must have changed or we put the wrong, I'd looked at it wrong or something. It's, it's, it's really different. Yeah. And that is, I mean, that is, that's amazing. Like, yeah. I mean, this is the thing about why we're doing this special because I think people go, well, you only got one album and then the live stuff, I guess, is just, but the live stuff is really different. It's outrageous. Like, really, really different. Yeah. Do you know what that reminds you of as well? Hmm? Um, uh, John Lennon. Okay, John Lennon, right? If people think John Lennon, particularly, you know, John Lennon's like the cool beetle, right? Uh-huh. The cool beetle. I mean, yep. I know he's not on Twitter anymore because he hit his wife. <laughs> you've got to bring that up. <laughs> Fucking hell! Yeah, <laughs> yeah bar all the hitting wife stuff. He's yeah, cool I mean that wife. is not cool. Obviously, and <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not saying that that's fine. I'm just saying that like. There's really no point bringing it up now. <laughs> I, 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 yes, he, I think he's perceived as the cool beetle, beetle yeah. regardless. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, um, John Lennon, uh, people kind of go, oh, isn't an, isn't Imagine a lovely song? And isn't it? That? So yeah. this is Christmas. And isn't it all nice? You listen, you, if you watch, like, live footage of John Lennon around kind of 1972, 1973, when he was doing stuff like, have you, have you ever heard Cold Turkey? No. Fucking hell. Like, Cold Turkey is proper, like grindcore screams really? <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it's mental right? oh, wow. and you what like there are there's a version of um of of mother uh i don't know where it is live but it's live somewhere that john lennon does on his own i think just on a on a piano um that you can find somewhere on, on youtube i'm just doing this from memory i don't have it up in front of me i'm afraid and it's utterly unrecognisable and he just goes fucking berserk screaming screaming like fist banging the kick like it's wicked and it's the sort of thing where you go John Lennon Mm. John Mm. Lennon Mm. or Bobby Ed's like peace and love John John Lennon that John Lennon and you're like yeah that John Lennon and you know it didn't come out that much in his music particularly but this is a similar thing. Like I was listening to this and I was like, this is like the sort of fucking mad tangents and the mad, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm gone. My, he's, he's lost his head yeah. in eternal life. He's like, you've, you've lost your head, mate. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. He's gone. He's not there. I think people who've only heard Grace and then listened to this will think it's yeah. just a total oddity almost it's like, well, how is that even Jeff Buckley? But, yeah. um, but you know, brilliantly he's, interesting. 
He did it a at few least. times. At least. He did it a yeah. few times. There's the, in the live Olympia um, live album, there's a brilliant yeah. version of Kick Out the Jams, which yep. is outrageous. You know, yeah. like just as brutal as the uh, Rage Against the Machine version or the original or whatever, you know, what any version you care to name. Um, so he was really influenced by that stuff and he loved that stuff. Certainly more the punk side than the metal side. I think I don't. It's difficult to know what he thought of metal, really. Um, I it's think never... he said I read that he played like when he was off tour, and he said he played in like metal he, bands. He did stuff. play in a metal band, but let's face it, Steve. Just because you play in a band that plays a certain type of music doesn't mean you like that type of music, does <laughs> it? That's true. <laughs> so, um, but uh, as we all we... follow Barry tomorrow on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, but. Uh, I, I definitely that there, there was definitely he was definitely hugely inspired by punk undoubtedly mm. and i think i'm sure some metal creeped into it as well yeah um i mean yeah the middle of it the middle of um uh eternal life that version of eternal life sounds like he's been listening to emperor or something it's ridiculous yeah yeah um but yes there's 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 loads of high- i wanted to also point out uh lilac wine mm. on this version of mystery white boy so there's a part about four minutes in. So Lilac Wine is just about sort of being, uh, it's it's the, the the narrative is of someone who's heartbroken about losing a lover and taking solace from wine that's made from a lilac tree, right? Fairly simple um, narrative. Uh, and it sort of focuses on the blissful oblivion that you get from just being drunk and woozy and stuff like that. And from the four minute mark, Buckley's guitar just becomes really discordant and starts playing quote-unquote wrong notes and gives this illusion of being drunk yeah and it's the most successful um it's the most successful interpretation of being off your head drunk that I've ever heard put into a musical form in my entire life it's it's amazing and that's not on the studio version yeah. you know um because i think on, i think if it was done in the studio it would sound wrong whereas live you can sort of tell oh yeah he's meant to be doing that you know mm-hmm. i mean i don't know maybe maybe it'd be all right in the studio version but you know that that is that's why i prefer the version of lilac wine on mystery white boy to uh to the original uh, well to jeff buckley's cover from grace um there's also the songs that are on here that aren't on Grace. So yeah, let's t- let's talk about those. So there's this song called "What Will You Say." Now, Jeff Buckley very very seldomly referred specifically to his father through song. Uh, "What Will You Say" is one of the only moments that he did, and probably the most direct moment. It's very Eastern tinged, uh, very me- Middle Eastern tinged, and you know, again maybe those uh Kashmir references or those uh physical graffiti references yeah, coming definitely. in um but it was co-written by Carla Az- Azar who is a drummer uh, known for playing with PJ Harvey uncle and most recently she's in Jack White's solo band all oh, right okay cool so there you go and Chris Dowd who is the member of Fishbone who I mentioned earlier you do um and what will you say is just one of those songs where you're like, why wasn't there a studio version of this? I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't think there ever was. Um, right. It was, he played it live a few times. He played a version live of it with Nusrat Fat Ali Khan, actually, which sounds crazy uh, with, uh, with Nusrat Fat Ali Khan's kind of uh, 
the, the the way that he just he sings it's it's just absolutely crazy but but sounds very odd but this version it's a beautiful beautiful song and the fact that he never got round to recording it is quite tragic i think mm. um when you hear this do you think it would have been on the next record well he didn't he hadn't put uh, he hadn't done a demo for it or anything like that. I mean, it's not on uh, sketches for My Sweetheart the Drunk at all. Oh. So, um, And this was recorded, the version you're talking about was recorded in the middle of 1995. So yeah. presumably he would have been, uh, it would have been written and ready to go when those demos were happening. Yeah, so it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting. I mean, maybe he just felt it was too much like the grace material though i don't you know i don't think it's i don't think you listen to it and go oh yeah that would have fit on grace easily uh you know it's but it's an odd one but it's it's certainly the best version i've heard um and it's you know it's on mystery white boy um don't want to go into hallelujah too much but i did allude to a version that's better uh quell surprise it's on mystery white boy yeah the big reason for this and chucking know, in the Smiths at the end. Chucking in the Smiths. Oh my God. So uh, I Know It's Over is uh, possibly my favourite Smith song. And that's because of Jeff Buckley, I think. Wow. <laughs> He's done, he has done a version of I Know It's Over, like the whole song. Yeah. Um, but the, the chords are remarkably similar to Hallelujah. And so towards the end of this version of Hallelujah, he just chucks in the... Uh, oh mother, I can feel the soil coming over my head, and it's just the most beautiful tear-inducing thing I've ever heard. It's mm. it, it's so it's so beautiful. It is really brilliant. It's it's the sort of it's the sort of song you listen to. It just makes you stop what you're doing. Yeah, you know. I I'd never. I mean, you saying that now, like as it being the definitive version, it's like I was saying before, because I've heard the other version so many times. That's fair enough. Such a kind of ingrained in you to be that. Yeah. That way. I just was like, oh, that's cool. And I never even thought about, could that be the definitive version? I mean, it's wicked if you think that it is. I I, I just love it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's, it's great. It's definitely really, really great. Uh, yeah, that's all. I, I'm not really going <laughs> to. I'm not pitching my tent on either side. I was curious to know because you're a bigger Smiths fan than I am. I was just curious what to know. Um, I'm assuming you've only heard that bit of it, but like, does that sound like a good cover to you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and, yeah. and 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 it was because I was listening to it on a playlist that I wasn't paying attention to. Mm. I was like, oh, cool. Like, do you know what I mean? Which I think is what you would do in the live environment. Yeah, you would yeah, be yeah, like, yeah. you wouldn't go, oh, he's going to chuck the, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you love it when a band chucks a bit of something into a, a song which you weren't expecting. And so for him to do that, that's the thing. It's like, it's much more of a like, oh, wow, what a wicked surprise. As yeah, opposed yeah, to yeah. Like me being able to sort of sit and weigh up which one of the two is better. I think they're both, they're both brilliant. Yeah. They're both yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I mean, one is timeless and, an unbelievable one is a timeless unbelievable song being merged with something brilliant yeah in, in a in a completely new and in surprising environment so i, I yeah. do i do think there's barely anything in it and there is also an element of me sort of saying this is the definitive version because i want people to listen to this version yeah because oh, it's amazing. absolutely listen to it it's um, fucking great um but um you know if, if you told me i could only have one version 
then I would take this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so what, what other ones? Are there? There's uh, there's Kangaroo, which is the longest song. Yeah, the, the yeah, record. yeah. Now, I don't, don't remember this. Kangaroo is a... Um, oh, it's not a Jeff Buckley original. No, um, by someone called Alex Chilton. Right, yes, yes. It's uh, There's actually a studio version of it on the deluxe version of Grace. Right. Um, the double disc version, which is even longer. It's 14 minutes too long um but this version is probably the best that jeff buckley recorded i reckon uh quite a rocky song really like one of the more not quite eternal life levels of uh heaviness but certainly uh certainly the 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 heavier end of the spectrum for jeff buckley yeah um i believe so this playlist that i made which will go out with this episode i believe i put every single song from mystery white boy on it except for kangaroo yeah. <laughs> but that was more to do with i can't just put every song from mystery white boy <laughs> on it <Yeah. laughs> so that was so it's not that it isn't any good it's just i was like i can't you know that would just be taking the piss yeah. um but um yeah no kangaroo's fantastic and then once again this live version is definitely better than the studio version that he did on uh, the double disc version of grace it's an interesting interesting um second disc that uh that double disc maybe we should get back to that another time yeah maybe yeah yeah, it's one of the few points where i'm a bit like hmm maybe you're scraping the barrel a little bit deluxe edition yeah yeah um but i do want to give a shout out to the version of mojo pin on mystery white boy as well just 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 a much better version of of the opener on grace um and a phenomenal song as it is yeah and also uh grace itself uh, the version of Grace on this, which is just an amazing song um, about basically. Uh, so the lyrics are inspired by Jeff saying goodbye to his girlfriend at the airport on a rainy day. Mm-hmm. Um, and in his own words, it's about not feeling too bad about your own mortality when you have true love. Oh, that's nice. Which is really nice, yeah. isn't it? And, you know, yeah. um, and there's lines like my fading voice uh sings sings of love but she cries to the ticking of time you know it's all it's all just about like kind of knowing that you're going to die um but not feeling so bad about it which obviously is quite haunting when you kind of consider how he died which of course we'll get on to absolutely um and oh, just another just interesting fact about Grace. Uh, in 2008, the British exam board Edexcel added Grace to their GCSE music syllabus. That's cool. And it's now used as one of the 12 set works covered in the course. God, um, to think what the other 11 <laughs> yeah, exactly but, um, <laughs> but that's no, really I'm sure interesting. quite good yeah that is very interesting but it's, very interesting. it's entered the pantheon in that sense yeah in that people academic people go yes this is a brilliant example of an amazing you know it's not that's not very cool quote unquote but that's how important it is well this is i'm going to challenge you okay. on your pick of mystery white boy as the, the, so would you say this is the if, if you never listened to jeff buckley before you would say go and listen to mystery white boy that's what you get. That that's basically what you're saying with the gold standard. It's a little bit more complicated than that. I thought it might be <laughs> because I think actually I, when we're doing gold, silver, and bronze, I have taken that to mean what are my favourites. Yeah, that's fine. So, Mystery White Boy is my favourite. Okay. What should you listen to first? Grace, and the right. reason for that is because. 
you won't appreciate the differences yes, and the things that Jeff does to these songs um, unless you've heard the Grace versions first. So um, what's beautiful about Mystery White Boy is it just makes you appreciate and love Grace even more in a way. Right. Um, but... If I'm saying to you, oh, this this nine minute version of Dream Brother is so much better than the original. If you go to the nine minute version first, you're, you you don't have anything to compare it to, so you're not going to know what the hell I'm talking about. Okay. So, in terms of what to go to first, Grace, of course, go to Grace first. Um, but Mystery White Boy is my favourite, undoubtedly. Okay. The other thing I was going to sort of challenge you on about uh, about this is that Grace is for me like you say um when you make an album and yeah. it's four or five people in a room at a certain time and the chemistry is this this one thing and the results of the chemistry between those people the time the the mood the environment uh, that you're all in yeah. the headspace that everyone in, in in that moment it captures that moment i'm not saying again like live albums obviously capture a moment because it is quite literally live uh but when albums are recorded and when you get an album that's just kind of perfectly pitched and balanced and sequentially like wonderful as grace and yeah. brilliantly written like it like you say it feels like a perfect record you listen yeah. through it from top to bottom and you go i couldn't ever dream how to, do you improve to it? improve or yep. upon that so many of these songs are recorded in different places at different times in different years. Sometimes when you get a great live album like Alison Chains Unplugged, uh-huh. Alison Chains Unplugged has the same aura to it as a brilliant record because basically that was it's one show. Yeah, it's yep. one show. It was a unique show. It captured a time where it was basically them going we're dead now yeah like it was like a kind of a, a wake for you know it's the last thing they did with lane and it does all that i'm wondering having not listened to this album sequentially from beginning to end if you know hamburg germany in 1995 to melbourne australia in 1996 to back to kind of france in 1995 back to australia in 1996 if that makes any kind of uh if the running order of it if 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 the through line kind of carries on like does it feel complete enough as a as a moment as a sequentially do you know what i mean i think yeah i do i think i think i think it does i think it's mixed expertly um and i think um you could probably tell where the joins were, but only if you were really concentrating. There's probably a couple of times where the mic sounds a little bit different recorded in one room to another, but it is, it's mixed very well to make it. I mean, the first few times I heard it, I didn't know it wasn't one concert right? because I didn't look at the liner notes properly. Um, So I was... I wasn't like stunned when I heard that, but I was like, oh, right. I didn't realize it was taken from lots of different performances. Um, I think the through line, you know, I mean, it, it, it starts mystery white boy with Grace's last track dream brother, but yeah. this version makes sense to begin with. And then it ends with hallelujah. Now, practically every single compilation that you get with jeff buckley now probably more or less ends with hallelujah because it's a great 
ending song but hallelujah comes track six on grace and whilst dream brother is a brilliant ender for the studio version having hallelujah as an ender it does feel like kind of the point like the, the pinnacle and i would also say that going back to eternal life grace um has a fairly broad sense of musical styles and yep. uh broad sense of dynamics but mystery white boy it's that much broader because it goes from you know pin drop quiet to really fucking heavy Mm. um in places so i think that's just why it's difficult because i see what you're saying i understand what you're getting at and i've described grace as perfect and can i describe mystery white boy as perfect it's more i'm more reluctant to i will admit that much um but it's just because the versions of these songs i think i prefer almost every version of uh the grace tracks and there's eight of them yeah uh the only songs that aren't from grace on here that uh, annoyingly there isn't a version of so real which which does yeah. kill me that's like what that sucks ass there is a uh there is like a japanese edition which does have it as a bonus um whether you can get hold of that now or not i don't know it's not on spotify annoyingly um but yeah so real isn't on there for some reason and corpus christi carol isn't on there either which yeah. is a shame um but i just think these versions of the songs i, I prefer them more oh i don't think lover you should have come over is on there either but there's a you know the majority of grace's tracks are on here and all of them are better versions i think it's um the willingness to take something perfect and fuck with it yeah exactly how brave is that it's ridiculous and probably improve it in my opinion in in lots of ways i mean even if you were to not quite hit the bullseye every single time you would Mm. at least go he's got something so good and he's not scared to just rearrange it into something else which i think is very very admirable it's that whole thing of art is never finished isn't it yeah i mean whilst jeff buckley obviously released grace and was happy enough with it he definitely strikes me as the sort of artist who was never truly happy with what he did and that's why i think he did change stuff live and did stuff off the cuff so there you go mystery white boy is your favorite oh yeah uh you probably should listen to i would say certainly listen to both yeah you're right grace into this makes a a hell of a lot of sense yes definitely um so i guess before we kind of wrap up shouts are kind of best of the rest i guess we've got to talk about sweet uh sketches for my sweetheart the drunk yes yeah, so because, i mean listening to this today i was kind of i wouldn't say i was surprised that it was only kind of demos and stuff and, and uh and it certainly doesn't feel like a record no like doesn't. sequentially like we we're just talking about with grace it doesn't but feel finished but there's definitely it didn't necessarily sound like demos to me. I was like, I wonder what else he wanted to do with some um, of the songs. I believe disc two is demos, four track demos, and disc one is his initial attempts to record the album with Tom Verlaine from television, I think. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, after after the Grace tour, which lasted three years, from mid-93 to 96, he returned home... Uh, exhausted as you can imagine and burdened with debts that he owed to Columbia um so there was a lot of pressure to um 
to record a follow-up to uh, Grace yeah. quickly. Uh-huh. But I don't think he felt the inspiration to necessarily. And, and truthfully, taking the entire double disc sketches for My Sweetheart, The Drunk, into account, you can kind of hear that. There are, I would say, five or six great songs or beginnings of great songs on this. Yeah, uh, We've talked about um, everybody here. Uh, knows wants you. You. Everybody here wants you. Thank you. Yeah, let's no, talk no. about that just mm. very, very briefly because mm. that is a standout. It's brilliant for me, isn't it? Yeah, and so different from anything on Grace. Yeah, like really, really different. It's like the, the sort of the, the sexiness that you were talking about. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, like we're talking about the soul of the song, like so real. Like this is almost like Prince or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This is super duper, like slinky as fuck. Yeah. And it's that same thing I was saying about of it being sexy, but not being objectifying either. Yeah. You know, um, I think it was about his girlfriend at the time, I believe. Um, but, you know, just it's uh, oh, it's just a beautiful song. It's so brilliant. And yeah, it's the most R&B Jeff Buckley ever was. Yeah. And again, if if that song was on Grace, it would stand out like a sore thumb. It really would. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think Columbia obviously were just very keen for him to you know obviously they never said it but probably just keen for him to release grace part two and that's exactly you can hear from sketches for my sweetheart the drunk that is not what he wanted to do i don't think any of the songs on this would have fit on grace very well like maybe a couple of the demos on the second disc but you know they're very odd weird tracks and there's like covers of there's a cover of genesis on here is that back in nyc i think And like stuff, yeah, there's some really odd stuff. This is where the post-punk stuff really comes into play, I think. Mm. I think you were right. Before this, there was some of that influence, but I think he started hanging out with a lot of people in that scene in New York. And um, because Columbia originally like wanted him to have like a big name producer do um, do the second record, uh and he so was, wasn't Andy, it was Andy Wallace did the first one. Yeah, Andy uh, Wallace did the first. Who did, who, you know, like engineered uh, Nevermind and stuff like Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Andy Wallace was a massive, massive name. And Columbia used Andy Wallace um, mainly for his uh, production techniques with metal because I think they wanted to beef up what Buckley was doing a bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, they pitched to him Butch Vig, Brendan O'Brien, Steve Lillywhite. You know, so people who'd worked on Nevermind, Siamese Dream, 10 plush, yeah. acting baby, you know. Um, and uh, Buckley bristled and told a friend, they want me to be Dave Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, so much to come Columbia's chagrin, he basically started working with Tom Verlaine, who's a cult post-punk hero, whose production experience was very limited, um, basically to his own albums. And he wasn't an obvious choice. Uh, he'd lacked experience. He had an allegedly quite prickly nature. Um, but it was after Buckley met Patty Smith. Uh, so that's when that recording yeah. session happened. Um, uh, he met him at that recording session and started rattling off obscure chords from television's Marquee Moon. Uh, and then the two men clicked and that's how that's how they started working together. A bit like getting Steve Albini in for In Utero. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, not so, that I want to keep comparing him to Kurt Cobain, but you know, <laughs> no, sure, sure. But um, yeah, Columbia kind of just went with it, and we're just hoping that this was just a phase because you know, apparently Jeff Buckley went through these little phases here and there. Um, 
and I don't know, maybe it would have been, who knows, but but I know for a fact that the the, the first disc is the Tom Verlaine sessions yeah. and I know he Jeff Buckley wasn't happy with it. And and, you know, rightly too, it's not like you say, it doesn't sound sequentially mm. right or perfect. However, the good songs on it uh there's this great one um oh what's the witch's yard blonde blonde sorry uh, which is rave no it's not which is rave. the yard of blonde girls that's the one i mean isn't uh, it yes right yard of blonde girls is just this brilliant funky weird ass song which again would just never have fitted on grace at all um and it's just it's just so you can definitely hear that post punk thing going throughout it. You can also hear a bit of grunge in it as well. There's some grungy type um elements to it, uh that are going on. Another song, Nightmares by the Sea, there's a big grunge. You can hear um there's loads of chorus on the guitar, the the effects that Kirk Cobain used on Come As You Are and stuff like that, and you can really hear that come through. Yeah. Um, you know, he obviously had he had a lot of res- I think he liked grunge music but then at the same time didn't want to emulate it because he kind of could tell that it was what was cool at the moment and yeah. didn't but you know nightmares by the sea is where he kind of allowed himself to emulate that a little bit uh there's a great song called vancouver on it um but the one that i really want to point out is um satisfied mind so satisfied mind again is a cover um it's a cover of a I think it's a traditional song. I'm not sure. Um, but it's uh, it's probably one of those songs that if you heard it, you might know it. But again, the way that Jeff Buckley covers it is just uniquely him. And very similar to Hallelujah in that it's completely stripped back. Just him and a guitar. Quite unusually, um, there's barely any reverb on his guitar, which is quite unusual for him. He was very reverb driven, certainly. And um, I mainly want to point it out because A, it's beautiful, and B, it's the song that was played at his funeral. Oh, right. Okay. Mm. Wow. And the lyrics are just kind of basically like, I don't need money, I don't need fame, I don't need anything, you know, provided I have a satisfied mind kind of thing. I'm sure it's one of those songs that if you heard it, you'll, you'll yeah, know it. That, it doesn't ring a bell, I have to say, off the top of my head. But, but Jeff's version is just, it's beautiful. And, and it's very much, some people might hear it and just be like, oh, hallelujah too. But especially knowing it was played at his funeral, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful version of an incredible song. Right. Um, and that is a real gem on uh, Sketches for My Sweetheart, The Drunk which is barely ever talked about. It's quite a shame, actually, uh, because it really is a masterful song. It's amazing. Um, and I put it like quite purposefully on the playlist that will go with this episode. It's the very last track, because it feels very last track, you know. Um, but especially with it being played at his funeral, that's, you know, it's the last song. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's up and down. Um, oh undoubtedly for sure i would say but you know it's not a proper album so i think that's absolutely fine yeah, yeah. um anything else you want to shout out i mean i, I i've got to say like from for my own personal thing i'd heard grace and i'd watched a bunch of stuff from the live at olympia um which is uh it feels like visually at least the kind of the definitive when you think of jeff buckley playing something that's usually when it's getting played uh i wouldn't necessarily sort of step up and go they're the definitive live versions because obviously no. you've already 
said that that's probably not true mm. but for me as someone who has less of a, has a much more limited knowledge of of jeff buckley and the things that he did live uh, i always loved um the the stuff that i saw from that uh, i thought it was good but that's basically as far as i'm willing to go yeah yeah is. no that's fair enough i think i think i think sketches for my sweetheart the drunk captures uh, a difficult moment for jeff buckley when he was trying to create he was being pressured into creating a sequel that sounded like grace and 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 actually trying to get as far away from commercial uh sort of sensibilities as possible you know hence him going with tom verlaine and stuff like this and um but then those ideas didn't work out and it's kind of interesting i mean uh, the compilation was released almost a year uh, uh away from his death and it kind of feels like if he'd had I think if if he if he had um, if he hadn't died, I think it probably would have been released around the same time. It's just we would have had a complete album rather than not. I mean, it does feel like it was a good year away from being complete and yeah. and him being satisfied with it. Um, but you have to bear in mind. I mean, the songs that he wrote with. I mean, some of the songs that he did on Grace were written for four or five years before they actually ended up on the record so i think he was one of these i think if he would have got a record every five years yeah i think if he had continued i think we would have got a jeff buckley album once every five years and i think every jeff buckley album would have been radically different from the previous one so Um, from what's left i mean is there anything else that you think is really worth people going into a kind of best of the rest just quickly um i think it's worth mentioning you and i i mentioned it a little bit earlier on um just because of the timeline but you and i is a compilation of like i said when they were trying to figure out what sound grace should be they just took jeff buckley to the studio got him again similar to shanae in that it is just him and a guitar but just just put down some of your covers and then we'll figure out what direction it should go in and it was um i remember when they were going to release it um because this was this is the last big jeff buckley official release yeah uh it was 2016 i yeah, think two years ago yeah. yeah and um i i remember being really skeptical and just being like guys you're just scraping the barrel now yeah. and then i got it and it's it's really good actually and it's got those great cover versions of um With <laughs> 10 tracks and eight of them are covers yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, so it's got "Calling You" on it, a really great version of "Calling You." That just like a woman cover yeah. is on it. Uh, Night flight's on it as well, isn't it? Yes, it is. So yeah. another version of Night Flight. Yeah. Um, it, it's just a really, again, it's a really interesting document. It w- it would be my kind of um, uh, not not an essential pick, but if if you've got the first three and you're still looking for more, I think I'd go to you and I um, because there's some really there's some fantastic stuff on it again it's jeff you know before he was a fully fledged uh the fully fledged jeff buckley that we know from grace but it's 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 a really really interesting document they have said that there are four reels of this stuff oh wow and you and i is just one so that's tantalizing and interesting um there's also it's quite nice as well you can hear how rough and ready the sessions were. There's times where Jeff doesn't even bother to finish the cover and then just sort of drops his guitar and go and starts talking about the song. 
and they've left some of those on there's an extended version on spotify where you can just hear him talking um like in the studio and there's a really uh there's a really odd moment where i can't remember which song it is during but um there's a really odd moment where he says something along the lines of um you're just going to keep this stuff in the vaults until i die aren't you and it's like and and then release it when i die and it's like oh fuck that's what ended up happening you know like it's it's so so much much of that yeah Yeah, it's crazy isn't it it's mental but that extended version is very uh it's very interesting to hear. You know that Nirvana. Let's go back to Nirvana again. You know that Nirvana box set that came out with the lights out. Yeah. Where where like there's loads of different versions of like uh, serve the servants and senseless apprentice and all this kind of thing. Uh-huh. And it's kind of a insight into how Nirvana recorded and what they were recording. It's a bit like that, except rather than being three discs, it's just one. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, it's very interesting document and much better than I expected it to be good um there's only one more i would point out as as worth uh investing in and that's grace around the world it's quite difficult to get hold of now i think but it's just a cd dvd sort of box set um the cd is okay um it mainly has television appearances um you know recorded to audio i think you know i think jeff buckley needed to be in a certain space um well that's funny actually it's got the version of grace from the late show Right, which is which is fucking brilliant. Oh, like, right. There's okay. a clip you can find that on YouTube. Um, right. There's a version of Grace from the Late Show on the BBC, which is like an old, well, a, a Late Show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like. yeah. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's him doing that. Yeah. Uh, on on there, and it's it, that's really good. Well, all of the um, all of those clips are on one of the DVDs as well, because I believe it's two DVDs, one CD. Yeah. I think the CD, I think the audio, like some of it's really good and some of it isn't. There, there is a live version of So Real on here, which is nice because there aren't uh-huh. many live versions of So From Real. TV's 120 minutes. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but the main reason I say this is worth picking up is there's a really brilliant. <laughs> I remember when I picked it up. I think I got it from FOP. And it said uh, on one of the discs, like there was a fan made documentary on it. And I was like, oh, well, that'll be shit. Uh, <laughs> and I and I got and it's the best part of the package. It's so it? interesting. It's oh, so okay. fascinating. About 75 minutes long, maybe 90 minutes long. Just really lovely, loving portrait of uh, Jeff Buckley. I, I, I'm not sure how readily available this box set is anymore. Although, you know, YouTube, I'm sure you can find it. But yeah, um, yeah definitely worth definitely worth seeing that um and whilst i'm talking about documentaries and visual things i would also say the live in chicago dvd just almost it isn't the performances from mystery white boy but um i think some of them feature from mystery white boy but obviously it's just him in concert and uh probably the best live document uh, sorry visual live document of jeff buckley by a mile and that should be pretty readily available i would have thought right fair enough all right good well 29th of May 1997 um, whilst waiting for his band to join him in the studio uh, to to work on the newly written material um, Jeff Buckley did what he had done uh, various times yeah. which is to go swimming in Wolf River Harbour uh, um, apparently he's wearing all these clothes yep. and singing Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin yep. um, and his roadie uh, was on the shore um, went to move some stuff and then couldn't see where Jeff was and uh, after a rescue effort um, the morning after um, Buckley was 
still remain missing um, until the 4th of July. Um, 4th of June. 4th of June, sorry, 4th of July. 4th of, yeah, I was just thinking. <laughs> yeah, July. yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the 4th of June, um, where he was spotted and uh, obviously had uh, had passed away. So, um, yeah, uh, and we were robbed of one of the that that generation's most gifted musicians. Yeah, um, it's just one of those really senseless things. One of those really senseless, shitty things where you're just like, yeah. I mean. you know it's an accident i mean there have been there have been all sorts of theories saying that maybe it wasn't but i don't think i'm even going to entertain those to be honest because it's just nonsense really yeah i think if it happened to any normal quote unquote normal person yeah then no one would yeah suspect anything at all exactly because it's a famous rock star and also i think this whole account of um him being a troubled rock star and all that kind of thing <laughs> was partly invented by Columbia to be totally honest I think that they they were like well this is what's selling so we were talking about the uh, image uh, of Grace yeah. earlier today and that very much sells him as a tortured artist but I don't think that's true if you see him interviewed he's I was going to say in interviews he doesn't it's not like you watch those interviews with Nirvana and you yeah. watch interviews with Lane Staley or you, you watch interviews with Tom York or Eddie yeah. Vedder and you don't get the same uh, the same feeling from Jeff Buckley. As no, not at all. People. He's uh, like, he's goofy. He's goofy. Like, he's really like jolly and quite fun most yeah. of the time. If he's talking about a subject that he clearly, you know, if you bring, if you bring his if you bring Tim Buckley up, he might not be answering your question in a particularly nice way. I mean, he's always polite, but like, but you know, for the most part, he was just an utter goofball. There was yeah. this, there's this brilliant moment on one of the interviews where um, uh, the interviewer asks, uh, what do you want people to take away from your music? And he just looks directly at the camera and he goes, whatever you want, you know? And like, that doesn't really sound like, that doesn't sound like the words of a tortured artist to me, yeah. you know? So any, you know, any, obviously you'll be able to find any, you know, people saying that like, Loony oh, it was suicide and all this it. shit. Yeah. So there's just, there's just nothing to indicate that it was. And whilst the My Sweetheart sessions weren't going great, it wasn't to the point where he was suicidal or anything like that, I don't think. No. There's no drugs in his body. Uh, the autopsy found no drugs, no alcohol. Um, and obviously he was wearing all his clothes. So it just, it just does seem like a really tragic yeah. accidental mistake, you know, yeah. just one of those things. He was, I feel like he was a very spontaneous guy and him just going, I'm just going to jump in the river and have a swim just feels very Jeff Buckley from what, from the amount of footage I've seen of him and stuff like that it just feels like something that he would do. And unfortunately yeah. this tugboat just, uh, you know, caused enough waves to, carry him off and he drowned unfortunately and you know I, I sort of alluded to it earlier about the kind of the the cult status that you attain when you die young and mm. uh before your time as a, as a musician and i'm sure that that did i mean we've talked about lots of things where we've gone oh that's eerie isn't it when we're hearing that back after we know what happened can and... i do another eerie thing super quickly Go just on. just to just to interject um 
apparently, I don't know how they know this exactly, but apparently you say his band were flying in um, to because they were going to rehearse later. Apparently they touched down the moment that he went into the water. How, if that's true or not, I don't know. That seems a bit <laughs> absurd. Well, yeah. the only reason I was thinking about it, I was like, well, I suppose they could find out what time the plane touched down and then they would have interviewed the roadie. Yeah. Um, I can't remember his name now, but they would, would have interviewed the roadie quite a lot um, and, and probably got a time and all that kind of thing. I mean, I think that is just one of those things. But then again, you know, if it's true, a little bit weird as well. It's um, a bit weird. But it certainly accelerated, um, you know, his fame and his yeah. leg- legend and his legacy as an artist. Uh, and I think, I'm not saying that, I'm sure Jeff Buckley would be, would would have been a star. Like I'm sure he would have been a legit, massive artist. Yep. As the years came by, and it's it's odd to think. And again, we'll kind of talk about his actual influence on real music, uh, in as we can see it in, in a moment. But um, yeah, it, it's a hard one because he basically went from being. A quite an un, a f- not unknown, but a fairly not huge deal and an oddity within the music scene to being a deity almost, yeah. kind of within the space of like that one event happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and, and it is interesting to note. Um, I, I mean, I I think I think all these points about oh, he's only as famous as he is because he died early and all this kind of thing. Whilst there may be some truth to that, it doesn't mean that he didn't, des- he didn't deserve that fame based off of the music alone. I think that's the thing is, is someone like, like I can only speak for myself when I say that I heard this guy had died yeah. and I didn't know any of his music. Yeah. Yeah. And I went, Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. And then somebody went, you should listen to it. And I did. And at that point I went, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. I would be lying. I I I didn't discover Jeff Buckley until after you died. You know, I I I just didn't. I mean, um, I don't know when it was exactly. It would have been around when I was playing guitar, so yeah. it would have been two thousand, two thousand one, something like that. But yeah, it was a few years after he passed away. Yeah. So I remember, but I bought Q, and it was the sort of the lead news story. Right. Right. And I was like, I don't know who's who's this dude. Mm, mm. Um. But yeah. But obviously, it's it's very sad, and it's it means that we don't get to see where he would have gone, where could he have gone, and what where would he? It's interesting to me to think where he would have fit in a in, a, in an alternative music landscape. Where say what you want about him not fitting in in 1994 when Grace came out, yeah. but 1994 was still odd music that was <laughs> unique was becoming popular as we get to kind of the latter part of the 90s and certainly into the 2000s that happens for that starts to slow down yes um so it would be interesting to know whereabouts he would have been able to sort of find himself well, in, th- in an even more difficult climate i think you made a really interesting um uh comparison with beck earlier which i hadn't even considered before we started recording i mean i think he would have remained kind of his own you know he wasn't his influences weren't what was going on around him at the time it was you know we talked about nina simone and and all the motown singers and soul and led zeppelin and rush and yeah that stuff was uh, like 
not cool in the 90s no at all no um and but he didn't give a fuck because he was like well this is what i like end of you know and so i i, I do think he would have been one of these kalim oh uh uh, uh what am i trying to say i don't know chameleon chameleon oh, right, okay christ sorry it's is quite late um it is now uh <laughs> he would have he been one of these chameleons you know yeah. he would have changed all the time he would have been kind of a uh uh yeah, the way Radiohead change all the time. I mean, yeah. I can imagine him, him. His influences were so broad. He could have done. He could have done like, like Devin Townsend's writing a a, a, a piece piece for orchestra at the moment. You know, I can see Jeff Buckley would could have done that later in his life, or he could have done an electro pop album possibly, and it probably yeah. would have been brilliant. Yeah. Or he could have, you know, he just could have done anything because he 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 perfected so much at so quickly i mean it disgusts me that i'm three years older than jeff buckley was when he died yeah. you know and and he he yeah he it'd be amazing he was such a sponge that i think he could have gone on to do whatever the hell he wanted well muse are the obvious band where you go yeah you know i mean they always got the kind of radio heads fucking with Jeff, Jeff Buckley thing early on there which, are there are fan theories that uh, Matt Bellamy is, is Jeff Buckley which is total nonsense but well <laughs> obviously it is yeah uh, <laughs> Muse formed in about 1999 their first album came out in 1999 he would have been if, if you're talking about like reincarnation or was um, it the spirit of Jeff Buckley? No, I, I, I believe it. I believe it's um, you know he, he got to shore and then was like fuck this I'm going to move to Devon <laughs> move Be to Devon and get, become really bad <laughs> uh, and release three or four good records and then become really bad actually yeah. I think you'll find Steve uh, yeah okay and, and also <laughs> what like chop his legs off at the knee as well like Matt Bellamy's like four <laughs> yeah, foot tall exactly. um, yeah. so Muse are the sort of obvious one I also think when you listen to Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, that guitar work that John Frusciante does is Ah. well and um, you know again that's a band who have a very strong like funk based rhythm section yeah and then they have this kind of virtuoso what they don't have is the singer yeah <laughs> they really don't because he's terrible <laughs> and so are they um rufus wainwright we've already mentioned rufus but wainwright. i think rufus wainwright is a really like i think took a lot it's, from uh jeff buckley i yeah. would say i mean it, you know emo as a as a as emo mm. as as you don't know it anymore i think like when you listen to a band like thursday i mean yeah. thursday's kind of the, the 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 smiths and all that stuff that jeff buckley took i think like is you know more where they sit but certainly when you think of some of the more angular bands who rose to prominence um in that, em- that that sort of I guess it's not really the first generation of emo but as those bands were starting to become bigger yeah the sort of the Thursday generation well certainly the femi- my chemical romance yeah the, the femininity think- of a Jonah Matranga or a, a Jeff Rickley or yeah, yeah quite possibly yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know for a fact but yeah it, musically not as they're, much they're, they're a while away aren't they they're a way away but you know yeah um, but yeah I think that that there's a there's still not really anything in 
many bands that you can look at and go, that's a bit like Jeff Buckley. No, I think it's hard. I think a lot of singer-songwriters try. Um, I think Damien Rice is really influenced by Jeff Buckley. Yeah. Uh, like, not, not you know, it, it's not a obvious through line, but I think... And there's, uh, on them, the first song on O, oh, he references Hallelujah, you sing Hallelujah, but it means nothing to you. And I, I think that is a reference to Buckley's version of Hallelujah. I think I read it somewhere, you know. Really? Right, okay. Um I think most it's that thing that I said earlier of most singer songwriters trying to be like Jeff Buckley but failing massively. I mean, yeah. Ed Sheeran may well be influenced by Jeff Buckley. He's just a massively oversimplified version of him. Uh, yeah, quite possibly. I mean, there's been a few like uh, people like Amy Mann as um, yes. uh, as pay tribute to Jeff Buckley. There's a, the song apparently um, "Wave Goodbye" on Euphoria Morning by Chris Cornell. Oh yeah, is dedicated to Jeff Buckley. Forgot about that. Yeah. Um, the song Shiver by Coldplay, um, Chris Martin has said is a is a rip off of, of Jeff Buckley. Just yeah. to name a few. Um yeah, and so uh, and apparently Lana Del Rey as well um has got a song Gods and Monsters is a direct nod to Buckley's band, apparently. That doesn't surprise me. I think the melancholia yeah. and Lana Del Rey's music and uh, and Jeff Buckley kind of I can I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. So uh, you know there you go like it's not it's not the sort of influence where we go like jeff buckley changed the world and music changed with him and he was responsible for this huge great kind of changing of the guards which happens so often in alternative music when you think of you know uh, punk what what punk did to glam and what punk did to or what punk did to to prog and you know then what kind of um new romantic did to punk and or what post-punk and new romantic music did to punk and what thrash metal did to to, to sort of the new wave of british heavy metal and what yeah. glam metal did to to that as well and then what grunge did to glam and then what you know, Britpop did to grunge and then what new metal did to indie music and to, to pop punk did to whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like there's not, there's not really a, a Jeff Buckley, Jeff Buckley fits in nowhere with any of that. Mm-hmm. As we've already said, it doesn't really fit in anywhere. Not neatly. Not neatly, no. And he's become a cult artist kind of, I guess, brilliantly become a cult artist completely on his own terms on his on his own right on his own merit for um for this kind of quite sparse but very very eclectic back catalogue um and that's that's fucking cool man Mm. that's surely what you want as an artist i definitely think there's a sense of sort of what could have been if you know he didn't yeah and and that does that does that rankles the most i think yeah yeah that does that does uh, play into it a lot because when I listen to my you know go back to my sweetheart the drunk when I listen to that I can hear the makings of a potentially brilliant record yeah. uh, it's just not there quite there yet you know yeah. um, and needs more work but um, I think my sweetheart the drunk just like Grace would have sounded like nothing else around it mm. um, if it had been released in 98 maybe 99 <laughs> you know new metal god it, like it would have and, tra- and Travis in this country yeah, as well, you know, yeah. Like Travis and fucking it, it, you know Embrace being huge in this country and yeah. Shed 7 and that kind of crap though. it would have either stood out like a sore thumb or kind of been ignored in the same way that Grace had been but I think gradually over time like a Beck he would have I could imagine him 
you know, playing Brixton quite easily because yeah. I think he would have gained a notoriety among the people who he who would have uh, latched onto him. Definitely. People would have loved that. But yeah. it's like you say, you know, when when you look at the kind of the the sparseness of things where we can go, well, that's a direct influence of Jeff Buckley. Or and, and when we do look at the things, we go, they're not really even. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's an interesting thing because he's so he's like I say he's become so iconic and so kind of omnipresent as one of the you know if, if you think of died young uh, musicians that you think like oh the tragic case of whoever you immediately go Joplin Hendrix and you go to the Twenty Seven Club Cabert, yeah, yeah, yeah Cobain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Amy Winehouse and Jeff Buckley is you know Jim Morrison and and Jeff Buckley is in that category yeah for sure with those people Um, but he's a very very different very very different artist to all of them a uniquely different artist to all of them so there you go Jeff Buckley Uh, that is the first of many specials that we are going to be doing on various artists as I said you know Go over to patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast. Just chuck us a quid a month or whatever if you like. Yeah. That'd be nice of you. That'd be lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And we will uh, will listen to you. Not that that makes it sound like if you just follow us on Twitter, (laughs) we won't listen to you. We still will. It is a good idea. I mean, if someone suggests doing like, Deftones, I'm going to be like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah. Uh, also, leave us a bloody. I tell you, we get people to leave us a review on iTunes. Yeah, go and leave us a five star review on iTunes after that. That'd surely. be nice. Yeah, come like, on. It's the least you can do. Yeah, I've got God. ten pages of notes in front of me, and I've got one. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but there you go. That was um, that was kind of uh, our, our summation of Jeff Buckley. We will definitely do more of these, but they will be coming out not as a weekly podcast. The weekly podcast is kind of um, going to be. It was put on a back burner this week, but it will be back next week. We will be back to our usual scheduled programming and next yes, week. Yes, next week uh, you're going to listen to "You Can't Fight What You Can't See" by Girls Against Boys. I'm going to yes. listen to um, "Arcane Roots" yes. for "Trade Off." Yes, this is what I've decided to call it now. We're also going to be reviewing. I think we're going to be reviewing. Hopefully. Thrice. Thrice, Emma Ruth Rundle, Emma Ruth Rundle, Van Art, Van Art uh, the Dirty Nil, the Dirty Nil yeah. and maybe Suede or Alkaline Tree or something. Or Paul Weller or somebody like that as well. But we're going to go a big for review a, show next where, week. Yeah, big My reviews. opinion on Ghost Show at the Royal Albert Hall. Oh yes, you went to see Ghost the other day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I can't no, talk no, about it now, can I? Can't talk about it now. No, don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. Save it. I've heard it was meant to be really good, so... Um, I know what you're going to say anyway. I have a slightly different opinion to everyone else's on my Facebook oh, feed, so wow. you'll find out about that next week. There we go. <laughs> Controversy awaits you in seven <laughs> days' time. Uh, thanks very much. Um, a reminder to go and get your 25% off your courses at Musicism. Musicism.net. Mm-hmm. That's music, I-S-U-M.net. Riot, in the checkout, all in capitals, get 25% off. You're fucking laughing. You might be the next Jeff Buckley. You might be. But you won't be. No. Not a chance. (laughs) You're nowhere near as good as him. You're pathetic. Anyway, see ya. Go away.